0: Subject to eligibility requirements, rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
1: I'm going out with the girls this weekend. Nails done, outfit stunner, and my skin... I know it's going to be glowing because I glammed up my shower routine with new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash. It smells so luxurious and deeply moisturizes with its super rich, creamy lather that's bursting with vitamin B3 complex. So my skin glows and my confidence grows. Try new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash for glowing skin in just 14 days.
2: If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson
3: X Code Assistant. AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant.
2: Learn more at ibm.com codeassistant code assistant. IBM. Let's create. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to- Today? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I won. Woo-hoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie. I just won big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over twelve hundred games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo-ha! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at High Five High Five Casino was a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High
4: Five, high five Casino. casino.
3: My name is St. Andrew, and I'll be your host as we talk about politics stuff. With me today is Garrison.
6: Hello. And
3: Christopher. Hello. And Sophie. Hi. And today, we will be tackling, or rather we'll be taking a trip to the anarchist activism in Latin America with Especifismo. But first, we need to get into some context here. The first organization to promote the concept of Especifismo was the Federación Anarquista Uruguaya, or the FAU, which was founded in 1956 by anarchist militants who embraced the idea of an organization that was specifically anarchist. For those who don't know, uh, not long after 1956, or rather two decades after 1956, um, the U.S. installed a dictatorship in Uruguay. That lasted from 1973 to 1985. The FAU survived that dictatorship and went on to establish connections with other South American anarchist revolutionaries. So they helped to support the founding of the Federación Anarquista Gaucha or FAG. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. The Federación Anarquista Cabocla and the Federación Anarquista de Rio de Janeiro or F-A-R-G, in their respective regions of Brazil, and they also helped to found the Ad- Argentinian organization known as ALCA, which means rebel. While only coming onto stage in Latin America within the last few decades, the ideas that really make up Especifismo touch on a historic thread that's really run through the anarchist movement internationally since the beginning. Um... It may, as we get into like what a specificism is and stuff, it may sound very similar to platformism. Are you all familiar with that? Uh, current?
7: Yeah, I'm, I'm fam- we're familiar with platforms a little bit, but we can probably—I uh, don't know—explain it for the people at 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 home who are not as uh, who do not spend as much time thinking about uh, right, old, right. Old, old 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 anarchist terms.
3: Right, right, right. So, dear generic listener or viewer or whatever, um, platformism began with a document that was written in 1926 by the former peasant army leader, Nestor Makhno, Ida Met, and other militants of the DLO Trude, or Workers' Cause Group. They published a document called Organizational Platform of the Libertarian Communists. And it was written in response to, well, being exiled from the Russian Revolution. Um and having to struggle really to find their footing after the Bolsheviks turned the workers Soviets into instruments of one party rule. Um so the power space group, the DL Truda, they really criticized the anarchist movement for a lack of organization. So they proposed alternative that is controversial to some anarchists but it's essentially a general union of anarchists based on anarchist communism that would strive for theoretical and tactical unity and a focus on class struggle and labor unions um obviously platformism like all political ideas is not a static you know the world has progressed significantly in a century so um, while there is an emphasis on worker struggle and class struggle, um, when you speak to most platformers today I would say, um, obviously I don't have stats on that, but I would say most platformers can recognize that you know the no war but the class war is a bit reductive. Um, I've also noticed actually that platformism has been getting a bit more popularity lately. I don't know if it's just me and my perception but I don't know if you all
7: seen that. I have I've not seen tons of it here. A lot of the type of anarchism I'm around, or at least see, is is is, is not is not in this vein. But most, most of the stuff I see is like around um like the kind of like live anarchy type kind of strains um and more in individualists. Um, right, I, right but that's just i think a very like pacific northwest specific thing that the anarchists here just kind of generally trend in that direction so i'm 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 not sure what it's literally like across like this country and other places around the world
8: yeah i know i know i know i've definitely seen it especially the i think i think it's it's i don't know almost i like think it was bigger a few years ago but back like 2018 2017 there was yeah. a big uh spike of black rose um like right. became a sort of serious group for a while, and
7: yeah, and people who like called themselves like anarcho-communists or anarcho-syndicalists kind of generally swam in this general ocean. Yeah, um, and and I, th- I, I, think... I, I definitely saw that as a bigger thing in twenty eighteen than now, at least like locally from my area.
8: And I think I, I will say, yeah, the, the the Black Rose people, a lot of them, like ve- very specifically, were as not based, and a lot of it was based on like people who had. Experiences with a specificismo
3: in sort of various ways, right, right, yeah. Because I, I was actually just about to say I think that Black Rose is more a specifist than platformist, but of course there is you know a lot of overlap between these two currents, right. Um, as for my experience with like platformism and stuff, I have seen um, discussions of it happening more. I mean, that's all I can really see that I've seen. Um I can't be everywhere at once, but at least if discussions are happening, the likelihood of things coming out of it might be a bit increased, I guess. Another current that um has been a part of the anarchist milieu, zeitgeist wave, whatever, uh is organizational dualism, which came out of the nineteen twenties, Italian anarchist movement. So they used the term to describe involvement of anarchists, both as members of anarchist-specific political organizations and also as militants in the labor movement. In Spain, the Friends of Turuti group emerged to oppose the gradual reversal of the Spanish Revolution in 1936, and they also em- ended up emulating some of the ideas of the platform by criticizing, you know, the CNTFAs, sorry, the CNT, FAI's gradual reformism and collaboration with the Republican government. Um, So the Spanish Civil War and stuff, you know, there's a lot of forces at play and I'm going to get into it now, but it is, I would say as a side note, important to recognize that there is no monolith when it comes to like these sort of civil wars and historical events. Um... You really have to look at things in context and, you know, not try to strip them away from the goings on of the time. Also, the Chinese anarchist movement of the 1910s um, advocated for similar ideas. I'm going to try to pronounce the name of the group. Hopefully I don't get cancelled. <laughs> but it's the Wu um, Sheng Fu Gong Shan Zhui Tong Shi Zhe Hui, I think which is the Society of Anarchist Communist Comrades. And yeah, they advocated for a lot of similar ideas. So there's a lot of different currents around the world influenced by, you know, the historic conditions. But the general thread that, you know, anarchists need to get together and work as a unit is, you know, what's thrust in it, right? And Especifismo is just a fresh continuation of this thread, of this trend. So, what is a, a specificism more exactly? The three key concepts um, that I see emphasized again and again are one, the need for specifically anarchist organization built around a unity of ideas and praxis, two, the use of the specifically anarchist organization to theorize and develop strategic, political, and organizing work, and three, active involvement in and building of autonomous and popular social movements, which is described as the process of social insertion. So kind of core to the whole specifist current is, which is rather antithetical to some of the trends that I've seen in the past couple of years, It's sort of a rejection of this left unity idea, right? This idea that there can be these... this sort of big tent organization that can somehow establish all these different visions simultaneously, right? So a specifists reject the idea of just unity for unity's sake because they feel it boils down to sort of lowest common denominator, kind of wishy-washy politics. They feel that when unity is preferred at all costs, it leaves very little room for unified action or developed political discussion. In fact, in my experience, when you have, like, a lot of political um there tends to be a lot of unproductive drama, for lack of a better word. Obviously, people of different political stripes should work together, um, and there's no, like, harm in that. But at the same time, when it comes to certain types of organizations, having a sense of ideological unity is, I would say, pretty important as you know, you don't wanna have all these different groups constantly uh, butting heads for all these different visions. You know, you wanna have at least some sense that we're moving in sync, right? So you're not gonna have some people who are trying to establish social democracy. And some people who are trying to get like this workers' state, quote unquote, or, you know, people who just want, I don't know, like a higher minimum wage. Right? I mean everyone's on a different stage of their political journey. But what a try to emphasize is that while we can work within these larger social movements, um, it's important that anarchists specifically come together try to shape those movements in an organized way and i'll explain because it kind of sounds a bit like vanguardism for some people this idea that you know these this cabal of like revolutionaries are trying to like manipulate things behind the scenes but um really what as argue is that anarchists need a space they need a space for like common strategy and reflection and collective responsibility and, you know, a place to discuss plans and build trust and share analysis and, you know, put together short and long-term goals, all that jazz. Um, So while the specialists do reach out to and work with social movements, regardless of whether they fit this quote-unquote anarchist purity test um and i say that with my tongue planted firmly in cheek of course (laughs) um they want to make sure that they can serve still as an active minority so that these movements aren't diluted and so i notice i'm like throwing out a lot of different words and phrases and ideas um you know things like ideological unity and the need for sort of a consensus within the group um and Speaking of, I've spoken about consensus on my channel before, so I have a breakdown on it that people can check out if they'd like. Um, I also spoke of unified strategy, right? So you're not just joking around. You actually have a mapped out sort of strategy. Uh, Like, for example, Black Socialists in America, they aren't like a specifically a specifist org, to my knowledge, but you can see um, that they have like a unified, like clearly laid out strategy. And they're making moves to make to like achieve it, and they're very public about those moves, right? Um, I also want to emphasize, of course, in a the whole idea of this active minority. You know, it's not just a bunch of like it's not like a passive book club, right? And a specificist group is a group of people who are passionate about you know this cause um. And obviously, passionate people have this habit of biting off more more than they can chew, right? So what I would advise, like, a specialist and a specialist adjacent adjacent groups, and really just organizations in general, is that keep your size in mind. Keep achievable goals within sight. Because if you don't, you know, it's very easy to burn out very quickly, you know, with especificist groups, it's important that they understand their responsibility, but also that they understand their limits. Lastly, and very importantly, social insertion, I think, is one of the most important parts of specificismo. And I think even if you don't take anything away from like a specific, a specificismo, you at the very least like implement social insertion or at least concepts within social insertion into organizing, right? Because obviously um anarchists are kind of few in number. But what social insertion tries to point out, I guess, or tries to develop within a movement is this awareness that the people who are making these moves, who are organizing and whatnot, that they don't relinquish their power to, like, other um, figures or forces or parties or whatever the case may be, right? Um, Social insertion stems from the belief that the oppressed are the most revolutionary sector of society, and the seed of future revolutionary transformation of society lies already in these classes and social groupings. So it doesn't mean, social insertion doesn't mean, like, acting within single-issue advocacy campaigns or, you know, like trying to take over um, people's existing struggles. It means getting involved in daily fights and daily struggles for people to better their own conditions. It means, you know, connecting with workers, connecting with immigrants, connecting across neighborhoods, um, working towards racial liberation, working within student struggles and tenant struggles. As people are, like, part of these struggles, they become conscious of their place in society, right? And part of our role is to try to develop that consciousness. So as people are tempered and tested and recreated, they see their position in the... What's what I'm looking for? In the pecking order, right? They see... There are forces at play that are keeping them down. There are structures at play that are keeping them down. And they change from just being, like, social classes to being active social forces. So they're brought together by organic methods and by self-organized cohesion. What you'll notice with popular movements, like, for example, Black Lives Matter, is that, unlike what some conservatives might assume the Black Lives Matter organization wasn't the one, like, pulling the strings. You know, like, the official group wasn't there, you know, telling people, okay, march here, burn that, riot here, move that. You know, it's like the people themselves came together and, you know, really expressed their desire for change. And so really, as they become self-conscious actors, aware of their power, of their voice, of their nemesis, which is the ruling elites that control the social order, as specifists try to keep that thrust, right? What specifists argue is that essentially there's an anarchist undercurrent to popular social movements that should be preserved and maintained and cultivated, right? With popular movements... um, they're very quickly co-opted by impositions of leadership or by, you know, academic elites or by political parties. But specifists aren't there to try, try to make groups identify as anarchists, right? They're there to just maintain that thrust, to be self-organized, and to fight for their own interests. Because ultimately, that's our natural impulse as humans. You know, it's really the propaganda that tells us, you know, um, like you have to go through these proper channels, you know, you have to vote with your dollar or, you know, vote for these politicians or whatever the case may be, canvass and all these different things. Call up your representatives. You know, the natural thrust of a person is not to like relinquish control of themselves, you know, it's to try to maintain that. Um, and so Especifism try to push against the propaganda that keeps us from maintaining that. Push against the co-optation that strips that from us. So, do any sort of automatic critiques of specificism come to mind for you all?
7: I'm not sure about, like, critiques per se. We need to, like, think about it more. But a, a few things, like, come to mind around... So, like, you talked a bit about, like the difference between like left unity and creating like an anarchist unity. Um, and for people at home, I would like to maybe extrapolate why those are different things. I know you have a good video on left unity already, but like in terms of trying to like, you know, if, if one of the goals being creating like an anarchist organization that kind of unifies different anarchists, how that is a different type of unity than just left unity in general. Um, I think that might be a, a point of clarification. And then the, the other thing I was wondering about is like, how does this intersect in terms of like individual goals versus like group goals or like organizational goals? And so like, because like there's a, was a back and forth between like personal autonomy and then, you know, these type of social movements that kind of almost gain their own thrust.
3: Right, right. Yes, yeah, so to the point about the difference between left unity and anarchist unity. Um, well, obviously anarchists are also fairly heterogeneous. Um, I think our general thrust for self-determination and autonomy and that kind of thing is what brings us together, you know? Uh the difference between like say anarchist unity, where there are definitely some, I would say, key disagreements within the milieu. And left unity is that I feel there are some extremely incompatible factors that prevent left unity from being viable. Yeah. You know, uh, when there's this thrust among significant segments, I mean, really, every non-libertarian segment of, you know, the quote- unquote "left" to funnel our popular energy towards state institutions, whether it be through insurrectionary social democracy or reformist social democracy in the case of MLs and Socdems, respectively, respectively. Um, I think that that really keeps us from really working together on anything more than small goals and small projects. I mean, we've really seen the whole left unity idea fall apart, you know, through wars and through even just like what should be discussions between people, you know, like the first international literally split because of the differences between, you know, the so-called left currents, you know, between the anarchists and the other socialists. So left unity is not something that I even to achieve I think most people know that about me by now um but with regard to like anarchist unity and of course the differences between anarchists I think the general thrust to maintain the autonomy and self-determination of the people and of the social movements that we are inserting ourselves in is what really clues us together and of course that alone I don't know if that's enough to maintain in a specific organization because, you know, like I noted, specifists try to um, develop deeper level, you know, strategies and theoretical discussion and that kind of thing. And so with those sort of discussions, you know, you're going to see a lot more of the distinctions bearing out. But at the very least, um, I think anarchists generally could benefit from a degree of at least unity in the sense of maintaining, or solidarity in the sense of maintaining the libertarian thrust of popular movement. I asked for the other thing that you had um, noted about the sort of friction between individual goals and organisational goals, you know, between autonomy and sort of how social movements end up taking on, like, an energy of their own. Um to be quite honest, I don't think I have like a fully developed answer for that. Yeah. um, Because on the one hand, a social movement that forgets that it is about, you know, deliberation of individuals is, you know, in my view, a social movement that's quickly going to end up turning against the people who are, you know, fueling it. At the same time, I've interacted with like a lot of people who are pretty selfish or pretty egotistical or just argumentative for the sake of it. Sorry, Sophie, you're going to say something?
6: Yeah, I was just like the thing that keeps popping up into my head is, you know, one of the things that gets uh, misconstrued all the time is who's calling the shots. And I kind of feel like what you're saying is everybody. In a way.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that like
6: Which is good it's sometimes, imp- but not good other times, obviously.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Because I think it's it's very easy to fall into this sort of um almost reactionary I like island mentality. Not island mentality is in Caribbean, island mentality is in person isn't as an island. Right. Yeah. Around like autonomy and, you know, personal freedom. You know, like this brattering idea that, you know, I don't step my property, you know, that kind of thing, just let people do whatever. This kind of like more so anarcho capitalist conception of yeah. what like freedom and autonomy is. But I think an important part of autonomy and, you know, freedom and yeah, like his project is, you know, accountability and is, you know, like consequences like social consequences and how your actions affect others you know like what anarchists you able to recognize is that we are not in fact islands you know our actions our behavior our words affect other people and so i think it's going to be a constant project to sort of balance um individual personalities and broader goals but I mean,
7: yeah, it's it's tricky, right? Like you know, we're talking about like some kind of you know group organization to work together to kind of you know think of achievable goals and create steps to get there. Um, And I feel among a lot of people who proudly declare themselves anarchists, and at least like, and are extremely vocal. Like these are like people both like online and in person organizing that are very are very like vocal and, and try to very much like make their place known. We've seen trends away from this direction in terms of like rejecting the idea of goals and demands and just you know like this this more insurrectionary kind of tendency of just making total destroy for the sake of it. And Shout out to the
3: Invisible Committee.
7: Yeah, and, and 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 that I mean like I know that like platformism is kind of like it's not like anti-insurrectionary, but it's like it's it it it, it definitely critiques that type of insurrectionary trend. Um, so I'm I'm thinking about like you know this idea, and like how w- with with this kind of general you know decentralized no n- no demands no goals kind of general kind of direction that like capital A anarchists are are, are doing. How like what's what's maybe some parts of especifismo that we can actually take into account to be like, hey, maybe there's, you know, like I, I I don't like I don't like being called like any adjective anarchist. I think it's silly. I I like yeah, I kind of I like yeah,
3: the that, in... Um, I think earlier this year or yeah. late last year, like I just got to the point where I'm an anarchist. You know, that's yeah yeah that's cool stuff.
7: I, I like the part in desert. It's like I, I'm an anarchist of many adjectives. I'm not. I'm not. Right. I'm not exactly. always an insurrectionary. I'm not always a syndicalist. I'm not always a you know blah 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 blah. Um, and I feel like that would be a really useful kind of thing for people to focus on more in terms of yeah it can be fun to make total destroy and that is a very base instinct, but it also would be great to like improve people's lives a little bit. Um, yeah. And like, those are know, kind of
3: building, not just destroying. You
7: know? Yeah. And there's th- like two, two, two kind of like dueling things. Um, and in terms, it's why I, I do really like like the part of like this type of stuff that it's really appealing to me j- just cause I kind of already work on this myself. So I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm already doing this, but it's like the, um, it is, it is like the social, ins- the social insertion side of things I think is, Something that would be a much a much better way of thinking about you know, like everyone hates talking about optics because yeah it's frustrating but I think the social insertion method is a better framework for kind of dealing with some of those same problems exactly um, exactly and, yeah and then like you know we th- th- there is e- even among in- insurrectionaries and all those you know all those types there still is like a decent amount of like group projects and stuff and that is I think a, a really good thing to focus on because. But yeah, there's not many anarchists, and it would be cool if there was more. And if we just focus on the parts that make people go, oh, that's kind of silly and pointless, then we're not really going to grow anarchism that much. Right. Um, so highlighting the parts that are like, oh yeah, you're actually helping people, that's going to convince a lot more people who are kind of already trending in that general g- general direction. And then, hey, maybe in a few years they can also be doing silly destruction for fun, because it is, it is fun sometimes. Um,
3: right. Yeah. That's <laughs> Like this, as you mentioned, optics. I'm reminded of this kind of pet peeve I have with some, you know, internet people, where they try to treat like ideologies or, specifically, anarchism as like a PR project that we have to like constantly be trying to shift the optics and yeah, micromanage like every aspect. Like, no, I think the best remedy for like, because. You're not gonna match the power of mass media. No. <laughs> what you can do to push back against that sort of propaganda is help people. Yeah. And help people, and identify as anarchists as you're helping people, right? Like that's the easiest and quickest way to dispel people's notions and like conceptions of what an anarchist is. If we were to take like socialization, right, and sort of, uh, I would say distill it a bit and individualize it a bit. Um, I would say that as a practice, you know, just even if you don't know any any other anarchists in your area, right, just being there, being in these movements, helping people and, you know, saying, you know, this is what I believe. Um, just talking to people about what you believe as a person, as you're helping them, you know, that goes a long way, much longer than any, you know, poster, um, campaign or like weed pasting initiative or artwork um you know wall art or whatever you know like actively helping people of course wall art has its place and um i dabble a bit myself but you know <laughs> it's um it's not it's ultimately like talking to people and helping people and being their people and being honest about your intentions yeah that i think you know we should be working towards.
7: And I, I think those types of projects are something that the specificismo model like excels at in terms of like creating like a unity of anarchists who get like who have like a goal in mind and then go out to achieve the goal helping people like doing like doing like like d- like direct directly helping people is something that that type of organization model is kind of the best at um exactly because you can yeah really like organize things much better with a small group like that and create goals that are actually very achievable, whether it be, you know, building a community kitchen or building, you know, heating centers for, like, for the winter, like under under bridges or, or whatever, you know, all those types of starting community gardens, all those kinds of things are, I think, what this type of model really excels at. And yeah, you don't need to yeah. change your ideology to this one word, because that's, that's silly, but you can pick up different parts of it and be like, yeah, that actually seems like a useful way of improving like, yeah, the world yeah, We a don't little want,
3: bit. you know, a politician just rolling here and co-opt our project, you know, like just basic things like that. You know? Um, and then from there, you know, as you are talking with people and meeting people who are passionate about issues in these social movements, you know, not only does it keep you from developing this sort of um terminally online um in-group kind of mentality, it also opens up opportunities to you to develop your, and this is on the topic of like the individualist social institution. It presents opportunities for you to develop your own, I don't know, like book club. And then from that book club could come and a specificist organization. You know, as you begin to develop your politics and your shared politics, more can come out of it. So don't underestimate, you know, the potential of just putting in the work and talking to people. Yeah. You know, just what, what, being there on the ground.
7: One of the best things you can do to help stay alive in the, while things are heading in the direction that they're heading societally is like making friends and fo- forming a friend group and then, yeah, like actually doing stuff together. That makes dealing with everything else that's happening so, so much better. And hey, remember uh, our old friend, Nestor, uh, Nestor Macron uh, started with a book club. So, hey, you know, yeah. you, you, you never know where book clubs can lead. You never exactly, know. Exactly, exactly. It's actually <laughs>
3: this really interesting um, video clip of Marie Bookchin talking about book clubs and like <laughs> the power and potential of book clubs. Um, I don't know if we could probably link that in the show notes, but it's like a really interesting. Yeah,
6: if you send like, me a like, link, I'll, I'll make sure to include tidbit. that.
3: So, ultimately, Especifists believe that social movements will reach their own logic of creating revolution. Not when they all just decide to identify as anarchists and wave the black flag, but when the majority reach a consensus and a consciousness of their power and their ability to exercise their power in their daily lives. So even if they do not adopt anarchism, they still consciously Adopt the ideas embedded within it. There are multiple political currents that will exist within any movement. And so it's important that we as anarchists and I guess specifically as a specifist are there to actively combat the opportunism that come from, you know, these forces, from this, whether electoral or vanguardist. Within these social movements as well, We can also help to push them further through, um, you know, pushing for more direct democracy and consensus, through federalism and confederating with other social movements, through, you know, building up the mutual aid within these movements. Like, if you are, for example, part of a mutual aid group in one neighborhood, You can push them to start reaching out with mutual aid groups in other neighborhoods and creating a network of mutual aid groups that can build into something bigger, you know, combining resources and manpower to really push the revolution, you know? Lastly, I will say that for those who are trying to, like, get into the whole Especifismo thing, um, I mean, you could start a new organization from scratch, but... Again, like, easiest thing to do is to just get in there with people and be honest with the people. and, And I keep saying the people, even though I have my critiques of this amorphous conception of the people, but the point remains that our goal is to spread our ideas, not to get people on any particular ideology, but to get a liberatory consciousness on the ground and to generalize that consciousness. And for those who are curious about a specifismo in action and social insertion specifically, the Federação Anarchista Gaúcha in Brazil has worked with neighbourhood committees in urban villages and slums. They've built alliances with rank-and-file members of the Rural Landless Workers Movement, the MST, And they've also worked with trash and recyclables collectors. Um, Brazil, for those who don't know, has a lot of high levels of temporary uh, and contingent employment, underemployment and unemployment. So the working class isn't how we traditionally conceive it as like just surviving primarily off of wage labor. But it's more so this sort of subsistence work informal economy, gig economy can deal. So being able to connect with these, when Joshua collectors, for example, who are part of this sort of economy, the, the FAG has built a strong relationship with them and helped them to form their own national organization to you know, push for their interests and to collectivize their recycling operations. Especially has also um, worked with the has also worked in the efforts of the Zabalaza Anarchist Communist Front in South Africa, as they also are strong opponents of social insertion and, you know, really being embedded in these social movements. In Argentina, in Brazil, in South Africa, and in the US in the case of Black Brothers Anarchist Federation, Espacifismo has been building as a key point of reference. And so I'll leave us off with a quote from the front Collective, an anarchist group um, online. If libertarian socialists merely organise with libertarian socialists, then they will lose contact with the broader population they need to be reaching. If libertarian socialists merely join social movements without advocating various libertarian socialist practices that can be used, then social movements can easily drift into being susceptible to reformist, unstrategic, liberal and Leninist tendencies and opportunists. If libertarian socialists merely join social movements and try to spread ideas and practices in mere individual ways, they will be far less successful than a well-thought-out coordinated effort. And if theoretically specific libertarian socialist groups try to control social movements and popular organizations from the top down, then such specific groups sacrifice their own principles and will reproduce hierarchical organizations. In contrast to authoritarian vanguardist conceptions, Especifismo groups and Especifists put their activity towards a self-organization of movements and organizations. Ultimately, as I honestly love this quote from Ashanti Alston, power to the people where it stays with the people. Peace. Yes, Andrew,
8: please, please plug your pluggables because they are good and people should in fact listen to them.
3: Right. Thank you. Uh, safety first, of course. I will say that you could follow me on Twitter at underscore St. Drew and on YouTube uh, at St. Andrewism, And you can find me here, apparently, twice a month, Yay. which is pretty great. Shout out to It Could Happen Here. Take care, everyone. Peace again.
6: Peace again.
0: Baseball fans,
9: Glow with your best skin, be confident in your skin, be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex. Transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and p and Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride!
10: You're probably careful with your personal information, but what about the other places that have it? Like the doctor's office that mixed up your files. They have your social security number. The power company that mistakenly cut your service has your payment info and last three addresses. And the hotel that lost your reservation has your passport info. Your information is in endless places out of your control. Any one of them could accidentally expose you to hackers and identity theft through lax security, breaches, or simple mistakes. But LifeLock monitors millions of data points every second and alerts you to a wide range of threats. If your identity is stolen, a U.S.-based restoration specialist will fix it. Guaranteed, or your money back with plans covering up to $3 million for stolen funds and expenses. Mistakes happen. Don't let not having protection be one of them. Save up to 40% your first year at lifelock.com news. That's lifelock.com news to save up to 40%. Terms apply.
5: Uh, what's new? My year. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> new, new, new year, same shit. I'm Robert Evans. This is Behind the... No, it's not. No, No, it's it's not. not. We retired this
6: in 2021. (laughs) We we, we retired (laughs) this bit.
5: Who where is this? This Time for a new bit.
6: (sighs) This is it could happen here. Time for more
5: coffee. The
7: the podcast about how things sometimes feel like they're falling apart sometimes. And maybe we can do things about that.
5: You know what's falling apart is me. Because I, (laughs) during my break, woke up at like 1.30 every day. And now it's some unspeakable hour in the morning. I hate this. It's one you picked time. the
6: time.
5: You picked right. the time.
6: No. So
7: <clears throat> for 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 one of our first episodes of the new year, we have decided to subject ourselves to your parasocial whims, um, and we are going to be doing maybe one, maybe two Q and A episodes, um, uh, giving A's to your Q's, and I've been A told and you right in the queue. Okay. I've been told that uh our producer Sophie has a list of questions already prepared so that I can stop talking and she can now.
5: You've been told you're the one who posted the thread.
7: <laughs> Sophie said that she would read them.
2: Uh
6: I did I did volunteer's tribute but I might I might I might take that back and see how, how much energy At some I point have. yeah I might yeah, take we'll... that back. Uh let's 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 start with uh let's start with a uh an, an a, a good one uh what has been your favorite episode/ slash topic to research in this past season so since we started season two?
5: oh God um I enjoyed the metaverse Facebook episodes because there's a part of me that really likes shitting on bad tech industry stuff mm-hmm. um it, mm-hmm. it it fills a deep part of me just just really comprehensively thinking about how st- how terrible the vision of the future these people have it so that was probably my favorite
7: i liked the climate (laughs) leviathan stuff um the climate leviathan climate behemoth climate Mao, climate x kind of uh four quadrants I, i i liked learning about that like oh geez almost a year ago actually by the time i started researching for the show um and i'm decently happy with the way that those topics were presented and how they keep popping back every once in a while I think
8: in terms of just the favorite episode I recorded it was probably the interview with the Common Humanity Collective people, just because like listening to a bunch of people who have a very sophisticated and well-developed mutual aid project and then listening to, you know, them talk about their political development and how they've been sort of solving their problems was really like reassuring and cheerful in a lot of ways. And then research wise, it was definitely the 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 spooky Area fifty one episode where I was like Oh, I'm gonna do a fun episode about uh, the government and aliens, and it was like, oh no, here's every war crime ever, and like 16 people <laughs> almost killing everyone on Earth. Uh, I was like, this is this is this, is a, <laughs>
7: this, is, a, this yeah. is a good time. Probably, probably the most fun I had was with the uh, chaos magic and esoteric cackism episode. Mm. Just of, uh,
5: that was a hoot.
7: How 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 silly it is. <laughs> um, yeah, and that one that one also was uh, just just a pleasure to record.
5: I also loved having Corey Doctorow on. Um, oh, totally! Because that was cool. That uh, was that, cool. That was that was very cool. I, how um, how cool of us!
6: I've enjoyed mm. our, our our fiction episodes with uh, <clears throat> Margaret and with Rebecca. Those those have been great, and I've loved having Saint Andrew. Uh,
5: mm-hmm. Yeah, that has been also yeah. very cool.
6: Fantastic. What were you going to say, Robert? Nothing. Oh, great! Uh, this person says, "I think I've got my head wrapped around mutual aid." Community resilience and all the stuff you talk about. Any tips on how to effectively communicate it to people who might not be at least initially open to it?
5: Um I mean it kind of depends on why they're not open to it, right? So sure. it's it's a matter of are they just somebody who has a lot of faith in in systems as they exist? Are they someone who's kind of coming at it from more of a traditional like liberal um, statist perspective, where they they think the option is to get in line with you know the Democratic Party and support that, and that will make things better. Um, like basically, are they a top downer, um, or are they somebody who rejects it because it's like communism, um, and they they don't they don't think that people have uh, any kind of fundamental responsibility to themselves? Because um, you are going to have kind of a different approach to trying to reach either of those people um, if they're coming at it from kind of more of a right wing standpoint, but they're not, you know, uh, talking about shooting vaccine doctors. Um, they're just kind of conservative. I think the way to do it is to sort of harken back to some of these very traditional ideas of like, um, American homesteaders and, and independent, you know, communities on the frontier and, and self-reliance and how mutual aid is people taking responsibility um, for their communities uh, rather than you know this idea I think a lot of conservatives have of like people um, just kind of lazily taking charity how it's it's different from charity and that it's a community um, seeing its own needs and becoming independent as much as is possible on um the the state from the state um, by trying to meet its own needs and how that um, is better for people than just sort of um responsible like being uh, dependent upon government programs. I think that's kind of the way in which to reach out to those people with that idea. If they're coming at it from more of a liberal, top-down approach, um, I think you can get more into the weeds and may argue about kind of inefficiencies within the system, problems within the system. I think one thing to really point out that will probably still be fresh to a lot of people, of that persuasion is how frightening – the first couple of weeks of of quarantine were and all of the supply line issues and and kind of the early breakdowns. Be like, look, um, that didn't go away, Like, right? You can see that, that we're still dealing with a lot of this and we're still having supply line disruptions and the state really has not kind of, even under Biden, sailed in to clear the gap. And so we need these community resiliency programs. Um, And you can, you know, depending on the kind of person they are, you can also sort of point out the degree to which there is our attempts at kind of sabotage of any sort of of of, of top down government programs by the right, and how um, that's part of why you need community resiliency programs because you can't guarantee who's going to be in the White House, you can't guarantee what's going to continue to get funded, um, and outside of kind of any of the the structural issues um, that make that stuff difficult. So I, I think um, that's kind of broadly speaking the two different ways you you can broach those conversations with people depending on the tendencies they're they're looking at it from?
6: Uh let's 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 get into an unpleasant one. Uh what's the gang's outlook on this year's election and how do you think it might position us for 2024? Do we see more violence leading up to the next presidential election?
7: Well, I know we'll be doing a prediction-ish episode later. Yeah. Um but as for this election, I have I've not looked at anything about it
5: I think no, the Steelers are going to answer. take it all.
6: What 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 sport are the Steelers?
5: Um, yeah, one of them.
6: That's great. Uh, uh I mean, yeah.
7: I, I mean i I feel like if Democrats want to keep the power that they currently have, they will probably need to do some type of symbolic action mm-hmm. that makes people think they actually do things i mean they've um, managed to and,
6: have control of everything done absolutely nothing that they and done nothing with it so yeah, so
7: i'm guessing if they want to keep that they should probably do something really soon um he, or else i don't see people being super eager to vote in 2022 for the democrats
4: yeah
5: yeah i mean one of the issues they've got is this this thing that you know, kind of the technocrats always have, where you know, as as we as Corey pointed out when we had him on, there have been some really positive moves by the Biden administration in terms of like appointments and how different kind of agencies are being handled. Um, but when it comes to the things that he actually campaigned on, like it just hasn't it hasn't happened. Shit shit ain't been done. Um, the, like the closest we've gotten recently is yet another kick the can down the street a little bit for student loan repayments. And I agree. I think they need to do. There's like two big things they could do that might have a significant shifting effect. One of them would be student debt forgiveness, and one of them would be fucking deschedule marijuana. Even without Congress, Biden could could oh, yeah, effectively absolutely. make marijuana not. And like that would be number one politically the easiest fucking win in the world because the vast majority of Republicans don't give a shit about that anymore. Um, it will piss off cops, which is probably why he won't do it. But like. It, it, what
6: about th- it? those
5: two things could have an impact on midterms? It's certainly a thing that would like you can campaign on more, but I don't, I don't know that I think he'll do that. And of obviously, I guess another big old payment to stay home. But I think that shipped unsailed.
8: Like I, honestly, like I don't think they want to win in 2022. It like they want to get creamed, like so they can sit there and then and go, oh yeah, uh, we can't do anything because Republicans control the House and you guys need to like uh you guys need to like save us in 2024 this is the most important election of our lifetime it's like and they they will keep doing this over and over and over again until literally the seas boil and everyone you know everyone's being herded into concentration camps like they they will just keep doing this and and like i think that's that's the thing that's actually important about the 2022 cycle is that like the democrats have you know what, what you know what, what the rejection of Bernie Sanders sort of is is the democrats essentially going we are not a popular party right like we we are not a party that is going to like like we will not even give the pretense of like having a base that we represent and we do things for like we're just we're just in it for ourselves we're in it to just like you know give all of our weird like black rock friends positions in the government and we don't you know it, it and it's you know it's it's we, we we don't have a policy agenda and we don't care if we lose because if we lose all you people just have to go put us back into office because the alternative is just more death camps
5: yeah i mean I think there's a broad belief like within kind of the Democratic Party that things are still business as usual and that the Republican Party is still a political party. And so kind of the handing off and switching of power is, is, is fine. That's seen as business as usual rather than the Democrats or, or the Republicans are continually ratcheting away from there being any chance of a switch of power, um, at least through legal means. Like that's the whole thing they're doing. And- the failures to pass any kind of voting rights and the failures to see, like, a, a voting right reform as a, a, an existential issue for not just the party, but like the concept of, of uh, democracy in this country is, is, I think, evidence that, however, you kind of try to rationalize in your head why it's happening, there's a real disconnect between the party leadership and uh, understandings of the new nature of reality.
8: Yeah, well, is the other thing. I mean, th- they'll be fine, right? Like, out outside of, like, another January 6th killing them all. Like, they'll be fine. It doesn't, like, for them, it basically doesn't matter if Republicans take power. Maybe maybe some of them will get impeached. There'll be, like, a show trial for, like, two people or something. But, like, they're going to be fine. And, you know, that's that's the thing that motivates all of their thinking is that they, they can survive another Republican administration. Like, we're, you know, we're dying under both of them. And, you know, like, I mean, this is this is partially, you know, if we want to talk about sort of the COVID response for a second and the relation that has to the election, it's like, yeah, the Democrats have just like completely given up even the pretense of doing literally anything about COVID. Literally, because, literally yeah, like anything. Nothing. Yeah, just zero. Yeah. it's just Go out I mean, and die. Can, yeah. Like,
5: it's, we can talk about that. That's a separate. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That, it, that's a separate issue, I think, just in terms of like how how to interpret what they're doing with COVID and the degree to which I think they even have a chance of uh, whatever. Um, but yeah, I was like, like, they they don't care if we live or die like we care if
8: we live or die and we're going to have to do stuff on our own outside oh, yeah. of this because they're just going to kill us all.
6: Yep.
5: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's hard for me to tell where the elections are going to go precisely. Uh, Biden's polling certainly isn't great. It's also not like wildly out of step with how uh, where presidents often are kind of at this point, um, in, in their cycle. So it, and also it's pretty normal for, uh, the party that just won the presidential election to lose at the midterms. That's more normal than not. Um, I think, so I think the big questions are number one, like the degree to which it's a wide sweep, which is going to depend on the actual impact. A lot of these, um, efforts to kind of restrict, uh, voting and, and gerrymander, like w- what the actual on the ground impact is, Um, and the degree to which we've seen an actual shift. Because one of the things that the polls don't often tell us is like, yeah, uh, Democrats are not popular. Most people seem to be aware that a lot of promises have gone unfulfilled. But it doesn't also mean that they like the Republicans, um, who, as the party of Trump, are still kind of widely disliked by people. So it's kind of unclear to me what precisely is going to go down by which i mean whether or not it's going to be a pretty normal midterm whether republicans pick up some seats or like a nightmare blowout um and i i do think that has a lot to do with whether or not biden and like does a couple of the things that a president can do unilaterally that would be really easy for other people to campaign on um like he they have to like if they actually do want to win they have to they have to make a couple of big hail marys they have to do Again, Biden has to do a couple of the big things that a president can do and then say, OK, see, I did a thing, put more Democrats in and uh, we can do this other big thing that a president can't do on his own or something like that. Like, I, I just don't see. Um, I mean, you know, anything could happen still. It's fucking January. Uh, I, I think there's a positive if you want to in terms of things that are make me kind of optimistic um, and, and in terms of things that are better about when the Democrats are in power and then the Republicans, you can bully the Biden administration into taking broadly positive action, which is what happened with student loan repayments, yep. right? That's why that did get kicked down the can a couple of uh t- kicked down the road a couple of months. Um and so I do think there's potential in um harassing the Biden administration into taking actions that can make democrats more popular. Um that would not be the reason to do it. The reason to do it is so that people don't starve trying to pay back student loans. Um but it it does point to I think an, an avenue of hope um, if we're trying not to be complete doomers in January of 2022.
6: Yeah, and uh, speaking of avenues of hope, it's time for an ad break. <laughs>
5: <laughs> ah, the only thing that gives me hope is the products and services that support this podcast.
6: And we are back. Back we are. Back mm.
7: we
5: are. Uh, Yoda in it.
6: I, I, I've,
7: I've, I have a question. I, I would like us okay. to talk about. Um, okay. new year book list.
4: Oh yeah. That's oh, nice yeah, and simple. Maybe. So uh-huh. what's
7: what's some I think we could answer this like and then they also someone else followed up with saying uh, re- recommend some books that maybe not just left left this theory of climate change, also some like fiction stuff as well. And I'm I'm just gonna say the books that I'm reading or is on my reading list. Not I'm not gonna recommend books I've already read. I'm just gonna say the ones I'm currently reading. Um I'm still making it through Hyper Objects for an upcoming episode. Um Ugh. I picked up a really a book I've wanted to get for a long time called Islands of Abandonment, which is about um people, well, no, it's it's, it's about places that have kind of been forgotten and regrown or taken have been re, kind of reclaimed by the area that they were that they were built on. And then I also have a random few books on alchemy that I'm going through as well. That's most of my books. Horrible.
5: Um, I read the last book I finished in 2021 was *In the Garden of Beasts*, which is by God. What is his name? I think it's Eric Larson. Um, he's a guy who's written. He wrote like *Devil in the White City* and a couple of other books that people have probably read. Yeah, Eric Larson. Um, and it's about the the first U.S. ambassador to Nazi Germany or what becomes Nazi Germany. He gets sent there right before, like like months before Hitler takes power. And the, the book largely traces he and his family's journey in Nazi Germany from, like, kind of didn't really th- care about German politics and were often broadly sympathetic towards the Nazis. They met, met like, his daughter kind of is is very much, like, on board with the Nazi revolution for, like, the first half year that she's there. She's also, like simultaneously de- dating the head of the Gestapo and the Soviet, um, like, assistant ambassador, which is fascinating. Like, it's a very interesting book. Um, and the story, like, the journey this kind of family goes on, realizing, like, what the Nazis are and the perspective of that. It's it's very well written. Um, it's very detailed. Uh, I really enjoyed it. The thing that I liked the most was the detail it goes into about the kind of, the fates of... Because it's, it's a more, I, you know, obviously, as much of a nerd on the history of fascism as I am. I've read a lot about the Night of Long Knives. This did the best job of kind of going into detail about the kind of dudes, who the dudes who were purged in the Night of Long Knives, So these guys who were Nazis, in that they they wore swastikas and they were part of the party and whatnot, but also weren't Nazis enough to not get purged, and in a lot of cases were like starting to fall out of love with the party when the Night of Long Knives had, and so it's these it's really interesting Um, And I I, I recommend it to people. And the last book I started in 2021 and the first book I finished in 2022 was called Ministry of the Future uh, by Kim Stanley Mm. Robinson, who is um, an interesting science fiction author in part because Ministry of the Future is about climate change. Um, It is a a science fiction look at uh, about like a thousand different potential solutions to climate change. And Kim Stanley Robinson is actually like an expert. Um he works for the the Sierra Center I think it's called. Um he's won a bunch of awards for his work on like trying to like posit different solutions to climate change. He's he he understand he's not like coming at this from the perspective of an even even a well-researched author. He's he's writing from the perspective of someone who is an actual scientific expert in what happens and how the different solutions might work. And the thing that's really interesting about Ministry of the Future is it's this fascinating mélange of um, like a, lo- a number of the characters, the Ministry of the Future is this kind of hypothetical y- new UN agency that's put in place after a horrible wet bulb um, heat event kills 20 million people in India, um, and they're they're kind of trying to push for very technocratic solutions to climate change. So, like one of the big things the book focuses on a lot is this idea of a climate coin, which is a kind of um, international backed by banks cryptocurrency that that pays as a kind of long-term bond for sequestering carbon so that like countries like Saudi Arabia that have huge oil reserves actually make more money by refusing to pump out oil and thus get paid in these coins. So it's really technocratic solutions like that. And then also terrorist groups that may be funded by this UN agency building fleets of drones to murder people on commercial air flights Um, in mass in order to cripple the entire air travel industry and stop carbon emission and carrying out mass assassinations on like CEOs of of oil uh, companies living in their private islands. So it's this really interesting mix of like kind of liberal politicians and like bankers like working out these very wonky solutions to things and like terrorists who have lost people in climate emergencies, mass murdering um billionaires. Uh and, and so it's it's a very it's the widest possible ranging look at kind of different solutions to climate change and how they might work. And it's a very optimistic book. Um and there's there's elements of it that I kind of, of the optimism I kind of disagree with. I think oddly enough, Kim doesn't give enough weight to the dangers of authoritarian populism and and the threat I think they present to any of these kind of potential solutions. But it's still a very well thought out look at climate change and I think really worth reading um, if you want something that will both bring up different... Because he also goes into a lot of like very scientific solutions like pumping up water from underneath glaciers in order to stop glaciers from sliding and, like, slow the rate of melt and all these these other kind of, like, very much, like, technical, here's a thing that we can do that will reduce the effect of this specific um, kind of climate change. It's really a a very good book. Um, And it's apparently, was Barack Obama's favorite book of the year, which, considering the degree to which it talks about murdering politicians and and business leaders, is interesting to me. I think he was maybe more paying attention to the carbon coin stuff than the shooting oil industry executives in their face while they're sleeping.
7: <laughs> well, he was also a fan of Parasite, so womp de-do.
5: Mm-hmm. <laughs> he may just have been told this is a book you should say you like. But it is it is a very good book. It is really worth reading. Um and it's it's it is a work of science fiction, but honestly it's like it's also it's well – again, Kim really understands his stuff from a technical level, so I, I think it's pretty unimpeachable from that point of view. There are some kind of sociological areas where I don't think the book I, – I think there's some shit missing, <laughs> particularly as regards the problems authoritarianism is going to cause in in reaching for these solutions. But I, I think it's still really, really valuable.
6: And uh, Chris, we're, we're going to hear your responses, but first uh, capitalism. Chris? Your yeah, turn. I've been
5: reading,
8: reading a few things. Um, I'm reading Wu Chuang, which is a a theoretical journal about China that writes a lot of very, very good stuff. They have probably the best account I've ever seen of just what was going on during the socialist period, and then also the sort of transition to capitalism. That's those, those are those are issues one and two, and they they just published an issue about. Basically, how, how the pandemic response happens in China—it's it's absolutely fascinating. Um, it's also about sort of—is this is something? I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've talked about a lot of their stuff on the show, sort of either obliquely or directly. But like, you know, one one of their big things is about how, in a lot of ways, the pandemic reveals the sort of weakness of the Chinese state in in, in a way that you know is you don't see really for because well, both you know both the Chinese state and the sort of like American media have this vested interest in showing like. China as this sort of like all powerful authoritarian police state or whatever. Like the, the mirror image of it is like this isn't. But you know what? What you really see is that like this the state has a very strong ability to intervene in like one province at a time, and they can you know when 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 they focus when they focus all of this sort of administrative power on like one area, right? They're extremely effective. They can't really do it in you know multiple areas at the same time, and this means that you're dealing with all these sort of regional government stuff, and it's. It's very interesting. the The other thing that I have, well, okay. So, do do we want to talk a, like a little bit about the dawn of everything, or do you want to save that for just like?
5: Yeah, I, I I'm down to talk about that at any point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but that's definitely about... on my list. That yeah, is a long I... one. That's less of a read. I think for yeah. most people are going to be less of a read in one sweep than like maybe for for over the course of the year, <laughs> like gradually. Yeah. It, yeah. It's... it's very very dense and very long, but very readable. Like, not to say yeah. that it's like. Dinson the, oh, uh, I got to, like, slog through this textbook. It's extremely readable. It's just, like, there's a lot in there, and you're going to want to pause and think about shit.
8: Yeah, so so The Not of Everything is, this is the last book David Graeber ever wrote, and it's, uh, David Wengrow also, uh, they they wrote it together, yeah. and it's it's this, basically, an attempt to reassemble, I guess, early human history, and but the 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 thing that they're doing that that's that's really unique is that so they they uh, David Wengros is a uh, an uh, archaeologist David Graeber is an anthropologist and they're they're going th- you know so they spend a whole bunch of time going through the sort of early archaeological records and what they find basically is that none of the things that you see make any sense at all unless you're willing to. Unless you're willing to accept that people, you know, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand years ago, and then even you know, people like four or five thousand years ago, were as smart as we are and have the have the capacity to recreate and redesign their own political arrangements self consciously, which is something that doesn't sound that weird. Except everyone assumes that they can't, and that you know, everyone that's you know, one of the other things they're, they're they're really sort of heavily doing here is trying to break this. Idea that you know uh, uh, human society sort of evolves in these this linear progression. You know you start out with like these small hunter gatherer bands and they get more complex, quote unquote, and eventually they develop farming. Farming develop the state. And the answer is just you know when you look through the actual archaeological record, none of this is true. You have you know they they, they have a lot of very interesting sort of historical examples of this. Looking at like inc- what look like incredibly democratic and egalitarian cities, and then you know on the outskirts of those cities you have the emergence of the states among um, of things that look like states among barbarian groups and they have and what what I think is maybe the most interesting part of it is that they're they're very concerned with the question of human freedom but freedom mm-hmm. in a way that like we don't like fr- freedom on a level fundamental enough that like we can barely imagine it so they they have these things called the three freedoms which is one of them is so the first one is the freedom to just move To leave and to to, to, to it's it's a freedom to to you know, be in a place and then leave and know that you will be cared for when you get to wherever you're going?
5: Yeah, and, the, these kind of networks that were set up so that people could travel, that have, the, like, the descendant of those ideas is sort of the way, if you've, ever, if you've ever spent time in the Middle East, not in, like, hotels and shit, like, it's that same idea, that kind of deeper-than-religious belief about the importance of, that has gotten added to, like, Islam and, and, and to a number of other faiths in the area, like, uh, but this idea that, like, it, there's nothing more sacred than taking care of a uh, of a guest um like and and how that that it, that existed to enable kind of a sort of cross cultural contract and uh, contact and like recreational travel in a way that i think is would be deeply surprising to people who just sort of assumed everyone before a certain age died within 5 miles of their house or was yeah. you know yeah part of a band of wandering hunters yeah and it's, um, it's interesting in that like like yeah like we we
8: in a lot of ways, travel less than early people did because you know mm-hmm. the, people would just leave, and people you know people just didn't like their families, and so they'd walk like five hundred miles, and they, they'd come mm-hmm. to a place, and they'd be accepted. And, yeah, yeah, and so, you know like the the second one that I think the one that I is the the one we have the least capacity I think to understand, which is just the ability to disobey orders. To just like anyone tells you to do something, you could just tell them no, at any time, and it's not only can you just tell them no like the social expectation is that you is that you don't act is that it's, it's 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 not just that you have the ability to do it it's that someone giving you an order is treated as weird and this is a thing that you know like like this this is the thing this is a freedom that used to exist and no longer does and was sort of destroyed in various ways along with sort of the, the third freedom they talk about which is about how people have the right to sort of just shift and recreate their, their social and political arrangements and, yeah. You know, and, and people used to do this sort of. Con- I mean, people. Yeah. You know, a lot of the what, what their early part of the book is about is about how societies used there, There's a lot of societies that would you know flip seasonally, right? So one like one half yeah. of the year you have this just like absolute dictatorship. The other half of the year it's like, well, it looks like a hippie commune. And you know the fact that we do not like the fact that like we 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 just don't like it cannot
5: conceive of completely shifting our political arrangements. Like that is. It's- it's also there's this fascinating discussion of like the the fact that, and this is kind of counter to what I, I I had always kind of thought that like once as a group groups of people, when they when they made the decision to like move to agriculture um and like set founded cities, that it was kind of a one way street, you know, you 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 just keep going along that road. and there's actually multiple examples of people's like this is what what happened to the British Isles or at least in what is currently Great Britain people's like developing agriculture settling down and then being like oh you know what fuck this and like going back like that that shit happened all the time and and one of the things that's really kind of optimistic about the vision of of the sweep of human history and the dawn of everything is the idea that like no we don't have to keep like it's not inevitable that we just keep doing more of what we're doing now. All throughout history, large groups of people have been like, eh, it's time to, let's do something else. Let's make a radical change. Like, it yeah. happens. Um, and it's probably more normal to do that than it is to do what we've been doing. And when you, you, I think one of the things that kind of, one of the things that leads to the sense of inevitability of development along the lines that we have is is the fact that we only really have about 10,000 years of even vaguely reliable, like, data um, or vaguely comprehensive data on human history, but people have been around for tens of thousands of years longer than that. And for most of it, we've been a lot more experimental than we are now. And it's it's always possible for people to try different things in a way that um, maybe seems impossible to us now, but, but necessarily won't for our kids. Oh, yeah, the last thing I would tell people to listen to if they're looking for a fictional, optimistic thing is Cory Doctorow's Walk Away. Um, yes, give give it a read, and if Great you're book.
6: and if you're looking for like a a, a a like a a beautiful like not to get your head out of the I, one of the things I'm really passionate about is plants, and I have this beautiful book called the planipedia and it's really helpful for caring for your houseplants, and it's just like aesthetically, just so the photographs are beautiful, and it's one of my favorite things to give friends and family check that one out as well an,
7: an, another another plant book that i just got for somebody that i really like i think it's called wicked plants it's about uh all the yes! poisonous plants that, that you can get um and the ones all the like the poison plants that you can cultivate in, in your own garden and that's been a lovely <laughs> read um and I, I do hope to set up a decent poison garden here in the spring I, so i, I would very love that for you. That. yeah me too it's gonna be great
6: well let's get to a, a another question um you guys want like a, a a fluff question or like a real question? Uh, let's do a fluff
7: one, and we can start the next episode with a real, yeah, I loved, real I juicy fluff.
5: Fluff me, daddy. All
6: right, okay.
5: That's a little gift I to all of you at home.
6: Fucking Jesus hated that. Christ! Um, oh my god. Uh, 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 on the topic of hobbies, so so I just Garrison likes poisonous plants. I like non poisonous plants. Uh, what hobbies are you into that we may not know about?
7: Um I guess I can only say one thing here really. Well, I guess I I don't know. Yeah,
5: you should be really careful about how you answer this <laughs> one, Gareth. <Garrison. laughs> I know what your hobbies are.
7: <laughs> Let's have everyone else go first.
5: Um I just got into 3D printing. I'm currently trying to figure out how to get ABS to act, adhere properly to the Yeah, that the, was the, the problem
7: I had with, with my printer is that it would I would get like a decent way through the first part of the print yep. and then part of it Starts would like curl cum, cum, curl yep. off so then it wouldn't print the next layer on correctly and then it messes up the print and yeah i was between mental health stuff and that at the time i was, I was set, set, setting up my printer this is when i just gave up because it was too much mm-hmm. so i'll be excited to see how you get past this hurdle
5: <laughs> well i've I, i've got a glass bed coming in so i'm gonna I replace have, I've, the bed. i have one too yeah and i've I've got the enclosure, one of the issues I'm having is just that i'm I'm having a heating issue with the bed. It won't heat up it it stops before it gets to one ten which is what it should be able to go up that high, but it's just yeah,
7: not. um, can you manually heat it up uh hotter um
5: it doesn't seem to matter it it doesn't okay. seem to matter if i if I set it like I can't obviously like you can you can set it up to heat, but it it just keeps yeah. i keep getting that like loud error beep. So there's like there's okay. this is going to be it's going to be a process of of jiggering to 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 figure it out um but you can, you it's, can come it's over, pretty yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. I, mean,
7: I have I have I've I have a similar problem with my setup right now that I've been trying to troubleshoot for like half a year. Um I can mm-hmm. manually control the heat bed and it does get that hot but still I think it may just be a leveling issue. I may need to like clean the bed. I should also just, should just talk to someone who has done more 3D printing than me. Um but yeah.
5: Yeah, but it's 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 fun. I I enjoy it. It's very it's radically different from the stuff that I nor like do for a living. Um, which is always my favorite thing for like a a task to engage in, in order to be relaxing because it's it's not at all like reading and writing. Um, no, it's very different. <laughs> it's very different. So so far, I'm enjoying it, and I already I printed the thing I need to do to make the um the bio um the bio lab. Uh, for, like, the Four Thieves stuff, if you want to check out our episode with um, Michael from the Four Thieves Vinegar Collective. Uh, I've 3D printed that part, so I'm ready to get the other parts and put that thing together. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how to print other stuff with better plastics and, and whatnot. But yeah, it's it's fun so far. I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, maybe I'll get bored. Maybe I'll wind up spending way too much money on different 3D printers like the ones that lift the goo out of the the resin printers are, are so, so, cool. they're, so they're they're cool. so
7: they're much like this is what um uh this is what Cory Doctor was talking about like like they are much better at the filament printers in a lot of ways mm-hmm. but a lot of like a lot of the stuff a lot of the really useful machines mm-hmm. that you can make with 3D printers require you to use filament right now um yeah. But th- the resin ones are, like, so much more elegant.
5: They're beautiful. Um, I also am really interested in the idea of printing wood, which I did not realize until recently you could do, but is absolutely possible with certain kinds of printers. Nice. Um, and that seems pretty dope. So, I don't know. We'll see how, maybe I'll be uh, tired of it in a month, um, because my mental health will take a dive. But so far, I'm pretty excited.
4: Cool. <laughs>
6: hmm Chris.
8: What do I do? Uh, well... Okay, so before the pandemic, I was getting into rock climbing, but unfortunately, like I, 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 like, I like rock climbing. I'm not like- Oh, it's like the best thing it, you
5: can do for your it's, body. It's a
8: lot of fun, but unfortunately, I mean, it's not like the worst pandemic thing you could possibly do, but like,
5: I, it's no. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if you get
5: up high enough on the rocks, COVID can't get up there.
8: <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, the Robert. opposite
5: of a bear. It's really bad at climbing.
8: Yeah, so I guess the other th- what what do I even do is a- okay. So my yeah. other thing, okay, so so deep like deep Twitter lore people will probably know this about me, but I am I have been for a very very long time like an inveterate fan of competitive StarCraft Two. Okay, I watch it. I, am, I am awful at it. Like I I am terrible at that game. But I I have watched so much like, StarCraft Two. Like I I, I StarCraft Two has become enough of my life that like like. The game was part of my radicalization process. Like, it was like... Okay, So, yeah, I wake up extremely early or stay up extremely late and watch Korean StarCraft II and non-Korean StarCraft II, and, yeah, it's it's a good time.
5: It's... I... My favorite thing about StarCraft in general is thinking about the fact that Blizzard was initially trying to make a Warhammer 40,000 video game. Yeah! And Games Workshop was, as always, too paranoid of their IP to let it happen and thus lost... How many? God knows how many. They would be worth more Infinite money than most money. countries. Like, they, yeah, they, they like, <laughs> would have been printing an impossible amount of money. Like, they, like I... Oh God. Uh, Andy Chambers would have been able to buy a, a, a mountain of cocaine to live inside, but, but no.
8: And instead, we got all of the infrastructure of modern esports, mm-hmm.
5: uh, which... Seems fine. Like it's whatever. Yeah. I don't care. But it it is very funny to me that they were like, Nah, this doesn't seem like a good financial decision for Games Workshop. <laughs> like, this Starcraft thing."
8: You know, like, I, I wonder. Like that. That's the kind of thing where it's like, if they made that much money, would they all just retire? Like, would they? Just well, I mean, it's a publicly now? traded
5: company. Like the the stock, the shareholders would have made it a, a, a fortune. And the the but yeah, I I don't know. It's very it's very funny that they didn't think that was going yeah. to be worth it.
7: Let's see. In terms of hobbies people may not know, I do really like cooking. I taught cooking classes uh, mm. for a long time. Um, it's been the main cook in my family since I was a very little kid. So I definitely definitely enjoy that. Um, I did go to film school for a few years. I want to get back into making short video projects. I've been writing some random kind of new weird genre-esque stuff that I would love to like rent a studio space and actually shoot some silly things in the next year and put throw them up online just for kind of my own fun um and then i also been still doing random occultism stuff um that's kind of how i fill my time yeah yeah it's, it's fun
5: yeah i think that's an answer
7: that is totally. an answer we did it that's an we answer and more importantly mm-hmm. that's an episode
5: that is an we'll episode. Be, we'll that is an answer. Tomorrow. That is a single content. You all we, got a content out of us. And so enjoy will, that. Be proud of yourselves. And
7: we will replicate and reproduce another content tomorrow that's mm-hmm. more uh, A's to your Q's. So,
5: a content every day, except for the weekends. Because thank, fuck you. That's thank, the promise that we make.
4: <laughs>
6: and some holidays.
4: <laughs> and some holidays. <laughs>
0: Baseball fans,
9: Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and P&G's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ+ community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this Pride, glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride!
5: Welcome back to It Could Happen Here, the podcast where Jair Bolsonaro was once again in the hospital getting all of the feces Wait, sucked out of his really? intestines. Yeah, yeah, he, he just yet last night. Get, they put him back he in. He's back, back, back in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Jair Bolsonaro, not. the most consistently dying man in the world. You know what? The you sickest know what, man in history. It just you know actually literally full of shit. Again. Yeah. You know
7: That's what this incredible. means? You know. You know what this means? It approximately. Three to four weeks, Stephen Crowder is going to get some horrible illness, and if we send to the God hospital willing. as well,
5: God this willing,
7: this, this, cycle, this is the only like <laughs> this is the cycle I, of time. Uh, my,
5: ho- my hope for both of them is that they find out that each has an obscure disease that can only be cured by piping shit from the other into them, and so they just hook them up <laughs> via a tube, and they're just sucking poop out of each of them and putting it into the other person. That would be very funny.
7: Hot. All right. Uh what's our first question?
6: Uh our first question so this was specifically addressed to Chris. So Chris you can answer first, but I think this is a question for for everyone really. What is your favorite piece of history that you haven't been able to talk about yet on the show that isn't deserving of a whole episode? Ooh, favorite piece of
5: history. I mean, we ain't talked about the Zapatistas yet because I don't I, I don't yet feel comfortable uh, uh, with with my level of knowledge there but it's definitely history that's extremely relevant to the kind of shit we talk about on the show
8: have I have I talked about the the the, the water and gas wars in Bolivia on the show no, 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 I don't think we've so. talked
5: about that at all either.
8: Yeah, I mean, I thought I mean that that probably is deserving of its own episode, but
5: like absolutely, yeah,
8: a bunch of people just literally like blocking every road in an entire country and starving out the ruling class because they can't like import food into the city because they've blocked every single road. Extremely cool, I guess. In terms of like really short, not deserving of its own episode.
7: I I don't know either because I've I've been able to elongate all my fun yeah. periods into episodes. Yeah, I don't know that <laughs> yeah. there's anything
5: we wouldn't cover. There's certainly things we haven't covered yet for a variety of reasons. Often just like I don't feel like we've had the time to there do a it lot right. of work. There's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, it's yeah, like why yeah. why haven't why haven't we done a Mao episodes? Like, do you know how much oh, shit that motherfucker I, got I, up to in his life? I have like,
8: been I have been like mentally like psychologically preparing myself to start yeah. working on Mao. Like yeah. this is a. Uh, that's that actually that dude, wait no i have it's, it's it's, the, it's the mango cults it, yeah. it's definitely the mango cults did you did you, did you know about this no the, the, the mango cults yeah okay so so mao got like i forget who it was i i want to say it was the prime minister of pakistan so, some some like dignitary like gave him a man this is this is like this is the beginning of the Cultural revolution somebody gives him a mango and he oh, no. like hands this mango off to like a red you guard you give a mao a mango and like they st- like like it this this turns into like a cult like people like they, they they take this mango they like preserve it it's it's like they have like they have like a shrine to the mango and like the, like Jesus there's this Christ. this okay. whole cult apparatus like builds up around just people getting mangoes as like tokens of mao's favor is this this like it's this massive thing it's, it's, this 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 like spreads like wildfire it's like, like people are doing this in like the far western reaches of china where like like in in in, in places where like there us like like important things cultural like there are, there are places in china where like civil wars break out and it takes people, like, a week to, like, send representatives, like, across China to go, like, talk to the Central Committee to argue their case. And, like, even in those places, they have mango cults. And it is, it is wild. The Cultural Revolution is a, is a, it is a time. It is.
7: Well, I know yeah. what I'm getting everyone for Christmas this year. Uh... Mangoes. I mangoes.
5: I, they're my favorite fruit. Like, they're just, yeah, we'll they're see just if, the best we'll, fruit. We'll see if the species survives this next summer. <laughs> oh, oh we will. Yeah. They'll just be <laughs> growing in Siberia. Yeah, they'll just be growing in Siberia. Mango sprouting from the corpses of fucking antelope.
7: That is beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of anything. Next question.
5: Okay.
6: Uh, if, uh, speaking of history, I like this one. If you could fight anyone in history, wait for it, and lose, who would you fight and why? <laughs> Who would I fight and lose? In and this?
4: lose
7: Like to. you'd still get like a um, few good
6: hits in or something,
7: but you'd lose. David Bowie because it would be hot. Next sure. question.
5: So, yeah. yes, <laughs> oh, yes,
6: other, other people could answer, I guess. Never
5: no, I think that's a good no, answer. No, that's the
7: perfect answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would happily be hit by David Bowie. So.
5: Sure, why not? There, it, uh, that, yeah, and, yeah. and I, I know that David Bowie really loved to hit teenagers.
7: I would be totally Hitting fine with Hitting in this. the other sense, Garrison. No, I would be fine with anything. Mm-hmm. I don't care when it comes to Bowie.
5: Wow, that's problematic.
6: <laughs> I love that for
7: sure.
5: you. I, I Problematic.
7: Uh-huh. We got a few questions about the ethics of leaving the United States as things get worse. Oh, okay.
5: Um, that's a good one.
7: Yeah. And this is something that I know we've you talked got about. That,
5: you've got that get out of America see, free card. And
7: I <laughs> see, that's the thing is that, like, I Fucking already
5: Canadians,
7: I already have my Canadian passport. So that is something mm-hmm. that I can do at any time. And that's something that I probably will do at some point because one, I can see myself in my 30s and 40s living in Canada will be a lot easier in mm. a lot of ways in terms of like how much money it'll cost for me to live and pay certain things. Like, living in Canada at a certain point will just make a lot more sense for me. So, yeah, I probably will move up. Um, And I also know that getting past Canadian Border Patrol, not that hard. In terms of other people wanting to go legally or illegally, it is actually pretty easy to to get up there. Um, If you want to do it legally, that's definitely a lot lot more work, but also not impossible. Um, Yeah, I think, I mean, like, it's important to know that like moving to somewhere else is not escaping the effects because the effects nope. are going to reach everywhere, yeah. but it can have a lot of advantages. Um, Especially so, if you
5: got like kids.
7: Yeah. So I, I say moving up is or moving away from the States is a decent thing for a lot of people. I don't feel the need to stay and fight for something that I don't really care about much in the first place anyway. Um, so sure, do what makes you happy in the time that you have alive. I feel like that's a that's as as ethical as you need to get.
5: Yeah, I don't think anyone has a responsibility to like stay and uh, fight to the death uh, in in a, a collapsing country. Um, as as a general rule, I'm very. Uh, sympathetic towards refugees, and that's kind of what you would be if you're talking about fleeing the United States because you're—it's in the process of falling apart, and things are—you suspect a lot to about to get a lot more violent, especially if you have again like a family, kids. Um, I I had options to do that that I've I've chosen at, at this point not to um not to pursue um, but uh I get why people would, and as a general rule, like I spent. I spent once when I was um, in uh, in Bosnia and Serbia talking to survivors of the, the genocide there in the 90s. Um, I took a train ride um, from uh, Sarajevo to like a little town near Srebrenica. And uh, during the train ride, I wound up like hanging out with this dude who had been born and raised in Yugoslavia and had been living in Canada since the Civil War. And he like very... <laughs> It through in his kind of broken English explained it like yeah when the war broke out all of my friends all of these other young guys I knew were like well you know we're gonna fight we're gonna fight and I said no 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 and I went to Canada and this is the first <laughs> yeah. time I've been back and that was the smart thing to do um so I'm I'm not I mean if you can get the if you can get out and find a place that's safer as Garrison said like there's there's nothing I think that inherently behooves you to spend your uh limited time on this planet uh, struggling and especially if you've got a family like doing what you can to put them in a safer position is great that said none of it's a permanent or even necessarily a long-term solution like the idea of moving to Canada has a lot of appeal but like if you think that Canada is going to keep being what what a lot of Americans see it as as the United States collapses into like fascism well, I don't know how realistic a proposition that really is and it's yeah. the same for a lot of places like all of these problems are global problems and moving geographically unless you're wealthy enough to move to like some fortified compound protected by contractors in a place that is actually insulated from climate change to a significant extent um is not the does not bring the degree of security you might expect um i do think there is i do think it is generally speaking a noble and positive thing uh to 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 stay and try to make things better where you are but um you know, I think everybody. I think everyone. I think every like single person, whether they admit it or not, would leave at a certain point if they possibly could. Um, and I don't think anyone is. Uh, I don't think anyone owes it to the world to like, uh, die in a place that uh they hate just because um that's where they were born.
6: And we're back. Uh, okay. Oh, this is a good one. What tool besides bolt cutters should we all own in a collapse situation?
7: First of all, bolt cutters hor- that should not be your first picture to for a tool. <laughs> no,
5: no, it should be I, an angle grinder with a diamond blade.
7: No, even like water filtration. That's gotten me out of Fine. a number of
5: tight water spots. Water filtration
7: over the years. systems yeah, there's fire a lot starters. Of like there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff.
5: If not, Even if not water filtration, you can get tablets or honestly, like you can have a little hand pump filter and water purification tablets along with yes. a little, you know, there, there's a number of things that are that should be in a go bag. A way to get uh, uh, some amount of, of already clean water and a way to get more clean water, enough food to at least deal with three to five days, um, some rope, um, a good knife. A multi tool is even better in most situations. If you have, if you don't mind the weight, a, a belt knife and a multi tool would be great, or a multi tool and a little hand axe, which, depending on where you live, might be more useful in splitting wood. A good fire starter, um, some amount of rubbing alcohol, which is always yep, a yep. handy thing to have on hand. Um, either maps or you know batteries for an electronic device that might be able to act as a map um yeah that that's all useful stuff um i do i i do keep in the boot of my car generally an angle grinder um i have come into especially living out in the middle of nowhere a couple of situations like sometimes somebody has a health emergency and there is a fence in the way um yeah. and it's it it has been something that is and, and is i think going to be easier for a mo- bolt cutters are good at what they do. They also require a lot of forearm and upper body strength that yeah. is not going to be as much of an option for people. So angle grinder, not a bad thing to have in any sort of like. It's especially if you like if you're if you're planning a kit like I want to keep shit in my car because the wildfires are coming. Right. Um, well, you're probably going to want a battery powered saw um, because depending on the capable, even if you have a very capable off roading vehicle, everyone I know who does serious overlanding is like, will you keep a fucking chainsaw? In there, Because sometimes you need to cut wood out of the way and you're just not going to get your car over it. Um, so it really depends on what you're doing and like what the what the 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 kind of potential threats you're worried about are. Um, but yeah, I think the basics are way to get water, some amount of food. Ability to start a fire. Something like a, a a space blanket is useful. If you live in a place where it actually gets cold, you should have a space blanket and a wool blanket or a couple of wool blankets. Yeah, a couple um, of wool blankets. Because yeah. those will retain heat much better. Wool keeps like 80% of its insulating capacity, even when wet, and like layering wool and um, uh, survival blankets um, can be a really effective way to keep yourself from dying in in, in bad weather situations. Um. That said, uh, depending on where you are, there may be no realistic way to protect yourself. In the like, if you are in certain parts of the Midwest at certain parts of the winter, it, it may not matter so much. Like what blankets you have ac- access yeah. to yeah. if you get if stranded. You're, if you're stranded yeah. in the
7: wilderness and there's no like structures around you, then yeah, if it's negative so, thirty, yeah, there's only so much yeah, you can do. Pretty, uh, there's only so much. Yeah, I you might I be able I do, do love collecting uh lock bypass tools. It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. things. Is just to have these and practice using them. Um. Mm-hmm. Something I got from when I went to the uh, Earth First Gathering that worked out pretty well was a foldable solar panel that connects to USB. That's hmm. enough to keep my phone alive always. Mm-hmm. So in terms of always wanting a map, this little foldable thing is enough to keep my phone able to have a map, assuming I have cell service. So mm-hmm. I was skeptical of how much this thing could work, um, and it, it 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 did a decent enough job. It yeah. it, it, it even kept like it even kept like my iPad Pro. Um, uh powered as well so it, it yeah, had it had, it had a decent amount of uh square footage once you unroll it so that was very useful but yeah i mean I, I i i really like lock bypass stuff um it's one of one of one of my other hobbies so there's you know a variety of tools in that type that it's nice mm-hmm. to get like a decent collection of
8: also like especially now but probably in general like have masks like just in general, I mean, just in general, like, sure, just yeah. have, have masks, have lots of them. Make sure you can change them.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, have a gas mask if that's at all physically, like, respond, like, fiscally possible for you. Mira is the one I think Garrison and I would both recommend to the to to ninety nine point. If 99 you
7: want like a very good gas mask, a really is, good yeah, gas Mira mask is is, is if, wonderful.
5: Again, all of these kits, there's the kit of like, okay, what is the, what is what's necessary? And then there's like, all right, if you have money or if you have time that you want to learn extra skills, what are other things like lockpicks? If you're just a random Joe and you've never like, don't throw lockpicks in your kid. If you've never done any lockpick shit, they're not going to help you. Um, but if that, that is a skill that is worth picking up and that will make you like more resilient. Um, yeah. Um, oh, and a fourteen point nine millimeter anti-material rifle. Um, you're always gonna need one of those. <laughs> they're at they they stay supersonic at up to three and a half miles, um, which is really useful. So definitely, definitely and they're only you probably aren't gonna spend more than twenty five thousand dollars getting one set up. So it's it's really for the price of a of a fairly new Toyota Prius, you could have Um, an anti-material rifle that can pierce armored vehicles at at several miles distance. And really, what is more pragmatic a a, a survival tool than that? Ammo for it?
4: (laughs) It's only like $30
5: a round. (laughs) That's just a moderately expensive meal per bullet, Christopher.
6: (laughs) Uh, Do you think that corporations like Walmart or... Amazon could become more militaristic as... Yes. Militaristic.
5: Yeah, I mean... Yes. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> absolutely. The trend that worries me is Amazon's increasing um, collaborations with and deeper connections with, like, the FBI and other kind of law enforcement agencies, um, the degree to which Target has also, like, with the FBI and, like, with other agencies, because they're, they're anti-shrink department and whatnot, they're, like, their sur- the surveillance they've built to stop theft is so advanced... Yeah, they have um, one of the best
7: crime labs in the whole United States. Yeah. yeah um, um, organizations like
5: Tiger Swan, which is a mercenary group that yeah. the the Dakota Pipeline people, uh, the Dapple folks like hired to crack down on the Standing Rock protests and have, have worked in other. There's other organizations like that that were active during the BLM protests and kind of the I, I do think we're seeing a, a paramilitarization of a lot of these corporation uh, a lot of these corporations in order to protect their what they see as their financial interests um and that that is that is proceeding rapidly and it's not i the thing that i'm not most i'm not most worried about them like do like having armed forces although there will be some degree of that there's already that's already happened like in portland in downtown portland there are armed effectively like mercenaries guarding certain businesses in certain areas like uh, as a result of like, you know, to deal with, quote unquote, the gun crime or whatever property crime that's raised. But uh, the thing that I think is most concerning is the degree to which they are professionalizing a paramilitary surveillance apparatus. Um, and Amazon has done it to do stuff like crackdown on union organizing and mm-hmm. whatnot. Like. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm very concerned with that. I'm, I, I think that the, the, the dimension of it that's most frightening is not necessarily like the shadow run you know, co- uh, uh, corporations buying armies, but rather corporations buying like intelligence agencies um, is kind of the, the thing that I think will actually be the biggest threat. Because um, in a lot of cases, generally speaking, if I have to deal with an armed security guard or a cop, uh, that security guard is going to be less of a pain in the ass than the cop. Um, not always, but as a general rule, I'm less worried about security guards than cops, even armed ones.
8: I, I think another thing that's important to keep in mind is that, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, like, I, I don't, I don't, I really don't think there's a danger that we're going to go back to like East India Company style, like people with mass armies because it's, it's literally too
5: expensive. Like, you can't, it, it's it's too expensive, and the armies that exist already do that. Yeah, yeah, you don't need them. <laughs> like, but,
8: but I mean, I think that the thing, the thing that's like scary uh, out, outside of the intelligence stuff, which is terrifying, but it's the stuff they do down, like, I guess you call it down the supply chain, which is like, you know, like Coca Cola murdering union organizers with paramilitaries, right? They, 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 they tend to work through, like, you know, like you know, like corporations will back rebel groups, right? Corporations will back, uh, like you know, in Colombia you see a lot of this. of like you have these sort of like, I these, I mean, some of them are back, some of them are backed by just directly by landholding holding corporations. Some of them are backed by, uh, just individual large landholders. But you get these like. You know, you, you 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 get basically these paramilitaries that are sort of the third wave after the army goes in, and that stuff's very scary, and we're probably we're probably going to see more of that, and yeah, but 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 I think it's it's kind of important that th- there's there, there's an extent to which again you'll see them having their own mercenaries, but a lot of the time it's there's some kind of. When, when, when companies really need to kill someone, they tend to outsource that to a like another sort of paramilitary organization that's like not directly in their supply chain. It's like it's not directly under their chain of command. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's a good and fun time that will probably just get worse.
7: Mm-hmm. Speaking of corporate funkery uh, <laughs> or whatever, we're <laughs> gonna get a Coca Cola ad. <laughs> I hope I hope we do get a Coca-Cola ad, because nothing soothes my quench like a cherry vanilla Coca-Cola. Nothing so. soothes
5: your quench? Did you uh-huh. just say that,
7: Garrison? That's what I said. Those are okay. words that came out of my mouth.
6: We're back. Okay, Robert. Somebody had a question about uh an article you wrote back when you worked at Crack about a woman who was hiding from their family. The end oh. of the article. Yeah. You mentioned that you haven't heard from her in a couple of weeks leading up to publishing. Yeah. And uh, they want to know if you've ever heard from her again. So,
5: yeah, that's a bummer. The the pseudonym, I'm st- I'm not going to use her real name in this, but the pseudonym I used for her in the article was Azameh. She was a woman who lived in um, the EU and uh, was under threat of honor killing from her family who were from Pakistan in origin um, because she was an atheist, uh, was not um, a religious hardliner. Um, and didn't want to be. And for years she had kind of hidden that from her family. Like she'd moved out on her own, but she'd hidden the fact that like she had a boyfriend. She'd hidden the fact that she'd like play dungeon. All of this stuff, like she played D&D and was like scared that like that was like her dad would literally fucking kill her. And this is a thing that happens. This is a thing that happens in the United States, and the EU. Um, it's a problem with like fundamentalist um, Islam. And that's not the only religion there's honor killings as a result on, but that was um, her specific situation. One of the things she was frightened about is her family would go back to Pakistan regularly, and she was concerned she wanted to go because it was her only way to see her grandparents, but she was also concerned that if her parents found out when they went back, they would basically imp- imprison her somewhere uh, where she would not be able to get out and get back to her home, and she would be forced to you know, be married off or something. So she was working with an organization um, in the country, in the EU, where she lived that helped. People extricate themselves, and, and the, kind of one of the last things she told me is that, like, well, the thing she was looking at doing because she was so worried about her dad was a a total break, it was, like, one day, with the help of this organization, she would just be gone and in another part of the EU and would have a complete break from her life and would completely stop living as the identity um, she had had her entire life. Um, and I never heard from her again after that, after, like, three or four different interview sessions, and I still have not uh, and my hope is that she did the thing she said she was going to do, and she just completely burned that email and every other way people had of getting in touch with her um and she's doing great now but I, I really have no idea um I have absolutely no idea what happened to her
6: oh uh uh so we the people want an update on the quest for eel horse
5: uh still no still no horse still have not found an entire horse carcass um but but one day, it'll happen, you know?
7: It'll happen. <laughs> okay.
4: <laughs>
7: it's going to be good,
5: Garrison. Uh... That gator that I shoved a turkey in, or a duck inside and a turkey next to was pretty good.
7: It was great after I dug it out of the pit as you were wrestling people <laughs> screaming.
5: Well, that's the only way to properly cook it the right amount of time is to get drunk enough that people have to fight you to remove it from the fire, Garrison. <laughs>
7: uh-huh.
5: That's how cooking works. I don't know if you've done much of it in your life. You'll you'll understand one day.
7: This this is a question that I find interesting because I feel like it really must understand not, not to like insult the person asking it, but at least that, that, that's not what, that's that's not, not that's what I'm trying to do. Um Which question? The question is um what population yeah. can the post-capitalist world sustain and thrive on with our ideas and concepts? Oh. 8 billion like we currently mm-hmm. have, 6 billion, 2 billion, less than a billion. Like, how many how people are you willing to lose to achieve sustainability? Because I, I I forget yeah, the Cyberpunk n- community and yeah. are optimistic with proper technology and eco-sustainability techniques so we can maintain a population close to what we have now. And yeah, I feel like just the framing of this question kind of approaches our current problems and the solutions we have in a weird way. Because I don't think we're not trying to reach a peak population we're trying to make sure the people that we have have enough stuff to live well, and we have that right now. We 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 overproduce yeah. everything. We make about yeah. one and a half times as much food as we need to to feed everybody, yet there are billions and millions of people who go hungry. So it's not a... So, like, it's approaching this question... It's an allocation this, issue. Yeah. So approaching this question in terms of, like, how could the post-capitalist world thrive on our ideas and, like... I, I I we're not trying to like reach a certain population number. Where I, I think uh, I, going it from that way is kind of a little silly because I feel like it should be the opposite. Is yeah, I, I I don't know why we, we I don't think we need to start with population and then, then go down. <coughs> the point is, is look what we have. Here's the people. Let's distribute this like a network instead of a top down kind of system. <sighs>
5: yeah i I think that one of the things you have to if you're ta- if you're trying to talk a, a, about social ecology, one of the things you have to resist um is is this idea that, like there overpopulation is any part of the problem. it It is not. um not consumption right is a problem. Um, yeah. but there's plenty of resources. The problem is again, one of allocation. And if you were to actually develop a much more equitable society where people were getting enough, one of the things that we have seen demographically all over the world when um, the level of kind of um, w- when the the sort of resources available per capita in a population increases is people uh, have less kids. Um, and, yeah. and like I, I think that, yeah, it's certainly good to say that like in a world that is more equitable – the human population will naturally level off and decrease somewhat, but that the, the the thing that's not the same as saying that like we need to decrease the population, we need to increase um, equity um, and and make sure that people have access to the resources that they need, um, and also that people who are massively over consuming aren't allowed to do that anymore. You know, yeah, that will solve the problems
7: and scale back all of the resources being yeah. put towards useless growth. And putting yeah. that towards better distribution. Thus, actually, I mean, like y- y- the questioner used the term like post-capitalist. I don't think we're gonna get to a post-capitalist world ever. Like at, at least at least not when I'm alive. I don't think like a world. No. Will there be post-capitalist areas? Probably. But we're never going to get there. There's never going to be a post-capitalist world. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think that.
5: Um, I also think it's entirely possible that we will reach points that people in the time will not necessarily consider post-capitalist because it will be the same states and a lot of the same institutions sure. and organizations that were there yeah. as a kid. But people who were you know, looking at it from a perspective today might consider post-capitalist because that's generally how change happens, you know? You yeah, yeah, think you're about, right. Like how democracy increased in, in the UK, but they still had like a king. It's like, when did they, they're not, they never really reached post-monarchy, but it's also not the same system that they were run by in like 1400, you know? It's wildly different and there's much more representation for more people, but it it's- that is not you know that there's also you also have your your soviet unions and your your killing of czars and which are over, very yeah which which is fine uh and, and 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 i i like killing czars but uh change happens in a variety of ways uh and change can be revolutionary in its effect without being a a clear break
7: yeah i'm just trying to think of like how we're talking about like The capitalist world thriving. Like I I don't, I don't view eight billion people thriving right now, even with that. Like a lot of, a lot of, like it's not, like it's that's not what's happening right now. And we need to change the way, like distribution of resources works drastically. And doing that will make everyone's lives a whole lot better. And it will also maybe limit some of the endless growth. And those things aren't opposites. Um, And I just. I don't know how like we can say those things, but the path to getting there is certainly uh, a lot more ambiguous.
5: Yeah, and I, I think that that's I think one of the ways in which the left goes uh, wrong often is kind of looking at things that have been tried before and and didn't 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 do the trick and saying like well what we need is we need us another Bolshevik revolution you know we need, to, we need to bring two, us back that rubble. you know hammer and sickle and it's like well you know they they gave it the old college try and they did not win um and you can be angry at that or whatever or you can be like okay it's the same and hey it's it's every tendency i can look at the fucking Machnoists and be like well that was based as hell and you know what it didn't do the fucking trick um so i think there's a degree of humility that needs to be had in terms of like what actual what actual change that makes a more livable world will look like in the way in which that's one of the reasons i did enjoy kim stanley robinson's ministry of the future is a lot of it is about the end of capitalism in a way that is not um it, it's it's it it doesn't look like a lot of ends of capitalism have have kind of been posited by um there's a lot of uh strong-arming bankers into like forcing high-level economic changes that put ends to like really extractive systems and whatnot um and it's 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 interesting it was kind of an, an imagining of how the transition could begin um in a way that that isn't commonly talked about um at least on the left and i i thought it was valuable for that and i i think people should be i think there's i i think that um um people can be more creative in, in how they envision the way that might look than they, they often are.
7: Yeah, and I feel like this question actually relates to like stuff like dual power really well, because our our goal as individuals is not feeding eight billion people. Our goal is to get a garden enough so that we can feed most of our friends off of stuff that we grew for like the summer. Right? Like that's like that's what our goal is to is to build it from that way. Instead of saying like how how can we feed New York in a climate sustainable way? That is a very different question than being like, if we want to integrate solar punk and like eco sustainability stuff into our lives now, because if we don't do it, no one really else is really going to. Let's start with the people you actually already have connections with, because a lot of it is is about building like horizontal connections yeah. as opposed to defaulting to this top down system of who has what, who needs what
5: and this is when we when i we venture when we dare to venture into the subreddit one of the things i see people like uh critiquing a lot is like well you you know uh, they keep talking about like all of these little like home gardening and like canning and 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 kind of these community level solutions but that's not going to deal with like this massive systemic problem and it's like oh, you know, it's not all about that there's there's one, one of the methods in which you can ensure change is keeping you and yours Alive and committed on change, and part of that is ext- hyper local solutions. Um yes. that yeah. also involve increasing your own idea of your autonomy and your own and your own understanding of things like the food cycle, which have an impact on what you like vote for and what you support pushing for on like a, a societal level. The things that you come to better understand in your daily life, and and so getting involved in all of these things, guerrilla gardening and whatnot. Um, has an impact on that. Although I do think people underestimate, like, the largest crop by acreage in the United States by a long shot is fucking lawns. And replacing lawns with either zero scaping just to increase carbon capture and reduce water usage or with some sort of food growth, doing a mix of that for the vast majority of like lawn area in the United States actually would be a significant thing on a global level. Re- recommend
7: um, everyone the book uh, Food Not Lawns. Yeah,
5: um, uh, there's it's that that would not be a meaningless change. And it is something that people can have an impact on because it is the kind of thing that if were it were to get popular enough, there's a Pokemon point, you know, where it where it becomes a trend. Um, And, and like Pokemon, if it gets popular enough, it will never die.
7: That's what we say about all of our stuff on our show. If it, if it becomes like Pokemon, Pokemon point or yes. or.
5: <laughs> the <laughs> NFT point, if that's, but I don't think NFTs. No, I don't yeah. think Pokemon NFTs is so will... much better than any NFT. Although yeah. the day that this drops, they will probably announce the Pokemon NFT game, which will be the final coffin in the biosphere.
7: All of, all of, all of my Pokemon's are gone. I've been hacked.
5: <laughs> <laughs> all my apes gone. <laughs> uh, that was my favorite post of the holiday season.
6: Oh, Robert, do you want to give an update on uh, after the revolution? That was asked a couple times. Yeah,
7: after the uh, Revolution sequel,
5: I'm three chapters in. Um, oh wow! So it'll be done hopefully some point this year.
7: Garrison, Garrison has a question on that. Are you going to pay someone else to code the ebook?
5: Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, we pay you, Garrison. No. Why, would I, why would I do that?
7: I don't want to code this. <laughs> yeah, <e-book>. well, <laughs> I have to work on the Daily Show now. I cannot code this fucking ebook. We all have
5: things to do. We don't want to do.
6: Oh my gosh. Oh. All right, I'm well, so sorry, Garrison. I'm so sorry.
5: We'll have you code some other people's books just to get, get the practice. No, done.
7: no, stop. No more coding. I books. will not allow there, it. There are there are there are experts that can do this a lot prettier than I can with my. I
5: think I, Garrison. <laughs> I consider you an expert now.
7: Oh no, oh, in no. in in EPUB coding. I'll put mm-hmm. that on my resume. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, I think that does it. For us today, folks, if you want to follow us on social media so you can watch us promote our own shows again, you can go to Zone Media on Twitter, Instagram, and Happen Here Pod. And wouldn't that be lovely? We get so much more connections through online. That's wow. That really does. We do. I love
5: online.
6: Yeah, and uh, uh, we're doing a behind the bastards uh, live stream digital show with uh prop.
5: On that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like This bit is so
6: do. not funny every in single feb- time. It's
5: in not feb- a bit. I'm just dreading it.
6: I'm dreading it too, but we're doing it. In uh, February. In, in February 17th, momenthouse.com slash behind the bastards. Are, are, are,
7: are tickets still available?
6: They are, momenthouse.com slash behind the bastards.
7: Can, can I buy them and be. scalpel them to the fans?
6: I
4: yeah, can't garrison. tell you what get, to do. Get in there.
5: <laughs> False scarcity is, is the oh, key. Oh,
7: gosh. <laughs> well... Do that if you have disposable income and want to watch Robert talk.
5: More, yeah, yeah. Even more than we already do. <laughs> I guarantee you, it'll be worth it.
7: Well, that's the episode. Thank you for listening. I hope everyone has a better 2022. Uh, that would be nice. And I he- hope
5: everyone has an identical 2022 down to the day and until in May you realize that you're actually in like a Groundhog Day style loop. Um, and then you would, achieve nirvana if i'm remembering mm. how the movie groundhog day went properly
6: mm-hmm.
5: sure i yeah. uh
7: yeah that sounds that sounds great have a good year make some changes uh make connections with people around you they're there you just you just find them talk to people who look like they have cool politics if you or, see or someone... start
5: doing cool things you know and start we, we start, should,
7: start doing cool things yeah
5: we should address one last thing which is the question people ask that gets asked a lot but we probably can't address enough which is like there's no one around me doing any of this mutual aid stuff there's nobody around me engaging any of the stuff that i want to get how do how do i get organized and get involved number one there are people around you doing that kind of shit it may just be hard to find because of where you are um but if you start doing shit if you like uh, the, the the simplest thing i can say is try and figure out where there's a need and start filling it Um, often you will start meeting other people who are engaged in adjacent projects or even the same thing, um, and that's a way to get into it. Uh, If you are trying to start – if you actually get so far as to start serving a need in your area in a mutual aid capacity um, and trying to start organizing and whatnot and you're doing shit – Feel free to hit us up on email. Reach out. We are happy to signal boost and signpost people who are have actually started doing shit. Um, it's one of those things. Please don't come to us. I think this might be a cool idea. But if you start doing shit um, and you can provide some evidence that you're you're doing something in your community that's not currently being done, that is a mutual aid type thing or even even a charitable type thing. If it's if you're doing it, we will try to help signal boost and and can be very useful in that capacity so so it's not easy necessarily especially depending on where you live but like you do it's always possible to find a need and fill it you know
4: yeah
6: I found that uh a uh definitely was easier before the pandemic but a way that I've met people that are a little bit more uh, open-minded to the same things that I'm open-minded to is going to like local comedy shows or things things of that comedy nature. Comedy shows. Those... I'm guessing like farmers markets, farmers yeah. markets, fairs.
7: You know, wherever kind of weird, not not in the normal culture, people will go to. You'll probably find someone there with radical politics. Like, yeah, that's prop exactly. So like, all all those types of like like uh, you know countercultural subcultural spaces. You'll probably find someone there who's wearing a back patch that is something like smashed to yeah. something, you know. So like, just like you, you have to, you know, you, you you're not gonna find them by staying at your in your house and scrolling on Twitter. I mean, like, probably not. You have to kind of go into the real world. Um, as scary as the meat space <laughs> may be, yeah, and I I important. would say
5: another thing to keep in mind if you are in kind of a more conservative area and even if you do identify as an anarchist you don't have to frame it that way you can always call yourself a libertarian municipalist and Uh none of the people who might be offended by anarchist will listen past libertarian and they'll decide you're fine and that's a great way to (laughs) (laughs) to start that absolutely
7: (laughs) Absolutely. uh, 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 it means the
5: same thing more or less I mean there's other kinds of anarchists who are but like uh, most people who say they're anarchists. If you were to call them libertarian municipalists, uh would be like, all right, whatever. Yeah, not me. Don't call me that. But <laughs> I call call Chris that constantly.
6: Uh, that's 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 mm-hmm. it. We'll be back tomorrow, or m- maybe not. I don't know Pro- what day. Probably this. tomorrow. Probably tomorrow. Maybe. Yep,
7: uh-huh. that's what I'm saying, and it's been said. If you-
6: uh, uh, you say so. Bye.
0: Baseball fans,
9: Glow with your best skin, be confident in your skin, be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and P&G's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride!
2: The following is a high five moment from high I won!
11: Yahoo!
2: Private, put down your phone! This is the army! Sort! High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone, goes wherever you go. i win free spins, cash, prizes, free down rewards, over twelve hundred games. I won again! Platoon! Present cell phone! High Five High Five, high five. Casino! Casino! Win at High Five Casino.com! High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary would we're prohibited play responsibly Conditions apply. See website for details.
3: High Five Casino!
5: This is gonna be shit.
7: This is gonna suck.
5: This is gonna be trash.
7: Because no one knows what's gonna happen.
5: I have not actually come up with a prediction yet. No, so.
7: I'm not. I have one. <laughs> okay, I have.
5: I have one that I came up with before the show. Yeah.
7: Is, have, have we Have we opened it? I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
5: we've already started. Okay. Um, so we were supposed to. This is it. Could happen <laughs> here, everybody. Podcast things falling apart. How to maybe make them fall apart less. Um, Sophie pitched the great idea of why don't we do an episode that is uh, our predictions for the it's new really year. It's really not my idea
6: year. when people ask So for this, it so this many was times. Sophie's
7: idea that, that she's this been talking was about this idea, for a long it, time. Sophie's
5: idea alone it sprang fully formed from the side of her head like Athena from Zeus's skull. Um, and we all agreed it was a good idea for an episode. I loved and loved that then reference. I did not come we up spent, with a prediction. Did you get it?
7: No, spent zero minute of time thinking about not it. Not a
5: second, not even a I moment. I absolutely
6: love the Athena Zeus reference. That's how I tell people I got Anderson. <laughs> mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, well, my prediction for the year is that I'm going to keep making references to Athena whenever I do something that pisses Sophie off so that she's Go less angry.
6: will. Mm-hmm. It will absolutely work.
5: Yeah, that's my prediction for that's 2022. That's your prediction?
6: <laughs> <laughs> Uh uh okay 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 wait, wait before we go into the to the uh to the big bigger thing I want everybody to give w- one word prediction for how you would describe this coming year 2022 one word prediction
5: boring nft uh, I was just gonna say fucked, but
6: mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't
7: think. it's going But with a pH, because it's gonna, be, pH, it's gonna yes, be hot yes. too. Yeah, you I, know? I I don't think it's gonna be that fucked. Actually, I think yeah. I, I was think,
6: gonna say mediocre.
7: Yeah, I, I I I'm I'm foreseeing a lot of blandness. <laughs> and I'm foreseeing
5: a lot of blandness. My here here's a prediction I'll make. I think that. One of the things that we were seeing last year, especially in the streets with like the far right being so much more uh, active um, than the left in a lot of places and in a lot of ways, is um, 2020 really tired a lot of people on the left out. A lot of organizers, a lot of street-level people, um, not just like, oh, I'm tired, but like, I was injured, Um, I'm fighting charges, Uh, my funds were depleted, I had to... I couldn't keep going out because I have a family and I had to deal with that sort of shit. Um, And I think, I don't think that energy is back yet, but it always ebbs and flows. And it does on both sides because at the end of the day, whether you're a fascist or a progressive, people have X amount of energy, you know? Um, And I think we are, I believe we are kind of at the beginning process of folks on the left starting to recover some of that energy um and I, I think that that is a process we're going to see building throughout the year. Um I, I, don't I agree think... with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it'll be a multi year process, and I'm I'm kind of hoping twenty twenty four folks are ready to throw down again, but but we'll see like where that goes. We might, I do think we yeah. might
7: have like a few days of people throwing down in the streets for some reason, like something bad may happen. I like obviously like, always like, possible. Like, late summer, I I can I can definitely see like a few days in July or August where it's like, oh, <laughs> is the thing starting again? And it goes mm-hmm. on for a bit, and then it kind of peters out. I kind of I, I definitely see see that being a decent possibility. Um, because yeah, I think there will be more energy for that this year and more mental like like like, uh, ability to, 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 to do that this year than than 2021. Um, yeah. But overall, I, I don't see anything super eventful, and I hope that this doesn't, like, jinx I, anything, and then we get... No, this, I mean, my, my big but, eventful like, prediction is
5: that, uh, and I, I will explain what this is based on in a bit, I think we are going to see a significant-sized urban metropolitan area be rendered uninhabitable either permanently or for a significant period of time in the United States due to climate change. And part of what this is based on is the December wildfires that just destroyed a significant chunk of Boulder, Colorado, right? Yeah. Not talking about like New York City gets swallowed by the waves, but like a place where there's a couple hundred thousand people living, they're not able to be for either ever or an extended period of time because a, a climate based disaster hits yeah um maybe it'll be a heat dome type thing maybe it'll be like a wet bulb event maybe it'll be um fires obviously always possible hurricane tornado you know we we saw enough just in the last couple of months in terms of those like record hurricanes that killed like 100 people in um in the south or the fires sweeping boulder right now and again fucking december um but but i i do think there's a pretty good chance we see something like that this year
8: I think my big one is that I mean okay so the the the, the obvious freebie is that we're going to cross a million covid deaths or like the mm-hmm. the the official count we, we like we we've had more than Oh a yeah already, baby US yeah, official count will hit this is the freebie the not freebie is that like Yeah it's even, not even, even a prediction even if, yeah that's not even a prediction <laughs> that's 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 cool I like think it's
5: going to be warm in the summertime
8: Yeah like you know and uh, warm in the summertime is probably like a bigger gamble at this point yeah. than
7: or yeah, but, very but, very warm at the summertime. Mm-hmm.
8: Yeah, but, but but I think the, the the real thing is that like there there is never going to be never lockdown in the U.S. Never like you. Oh like, God, no, no. The, the that, president that ship of the United sailed. States could die and there would be no lockdown. Like, and this is you know, and I think this this is a result of. I, I don't know. I I wonder what you do. This is my my thesis for what was going on in twenty twenty was that like, I I actually think the like the like liberate wisconsin stuff i think that actually worked like those those number in 2020 there were all those giant like mm-hmm. like a bunch of people showed up with guns to capital. absolutely it worked yeah. yeah yeah it worked and it was like and, and but but they they did they did terrorism the very state usually thing. works it's a very yeah, yeah. effective way to get things done <laughs> well but and I, th- I think there's an important lesson here though which is that like so the state will never like very very rarely will the state ever like directly like they 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 won't immediately back down, right? What they'll do is like they'll make an enormous show about how they didn't grant any concessions, and then they will grant concessions. Or like mm-hmm. you know, this is the thing with the riots, right? It's like okay, people are talking about like why do we not? There's not going to be any more stimulus checks, right? And the reason there's not going to be any more stimulus checks is because nobody's rioting. And you know, like yeah, so see what, what
5: kind of stimulus checks you get if a couple of targets get redacted.
8: Yeah, like you know, if 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 you burn down another police station, we will get more stimulus checks. It's just that you have to, you know, there has to be <laughs> another police station burned down. <laughs> Right. But like this is, and this is the, this is the, you know, the, the, the right was extremely effective at this, right? In, in a way that people just don't really talk about, mm-hmm. which is that it, it is now politically impossible in the U.S. Like no, no one, no one will ever do another lockdown because people will show up with guns and they don't want to yeah. deal with that. And they've decided that just, just kill, just kill a million, we'll, 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 like, you know, we, we've already killed the entire population of Seattle. Like they're dead. Like we'll we'll just keep killing more people and more
5: people. And it, it's just it's, it's it's never. Thing. I think people often are going, I think people on the left attack the, um, Biden's COVID response for a lot of the wrong things. Like the thing that I I would go after him for is like, yeah, we didn't, he didn't just say, here's a bunch of money. Don't go to work. We're not going back to school. Like stay at home. Here's a pile of cash, which might've worked. It was worth a shot. But past that, a lot of this was beyond by the time he came into office, the, the armed militant cultural movement against the idea of COVID precautions was so advanced that like, what do you what it, what out, what more could have been realistically done other than trying to give people enough money again to actually stay home, which again is the thing I think it's most fair to attack him well, on? Like, okay,
8: I mean, I say this like, was, like
5: shits beyond Biden in a lot yeah, of cases. Yeah, like, but like, I
8: I don't like. Okay, it was like, well, what what could have been done? I don't know. Like, if if you're looking from the perspective of the state, they could actually have deployed the intelligence services against them instead of doing like one dumb entrapment plot, right? Like, well, sure, but that's like, that's, that's a, also
5: that starts before Biden, and by again by the yeah, time he's but, in but office, I mean, like, it's like,
8: you know, but like like yeah, call their bluff, right? Have a bunch of people show up to the Capitol, and then it's like, okay, here's the FBI, like like that that that's a thing that like if if you're a liberal statist, you could do, and mm-hmm. they just don't want to because. Like partially they don't want the conflict, and partially because it would actually it would look re- like it would look really bad for them heading into the midterms.
5: It would look really so bad, and uh, and also I think this is less the, the FBI is kind of much more centrist in terms of their politics as an agency. But like when you talk about were a lot of federal and state aid,
8: huh? yeah, I mean when you well, talk I mean, about they, most
5: they, federal and state, like I don't know that they can rely on them. Like yeah. and they don't well, I mean, know that they can rely
8: and, on and them. Even even the FBI is like, yeah, they're using the Proud Boys as informants, like on yeah. against anarchists, like yeah. So yeah, like they're not they're not they're not
5: like i the, the, yeah. i have an appreciation what i will say is i have an appreciation for the fact that by the time biden was in office it may have been an unsolvable problem which doesn't let him off the hook for things that were objectively bad decisions like not doing shit for stimulus um like pushing to open the schools like you know a number of other things that he's done but also like if he had done all of the right things, we still might be at exactly this death toll because there are cultural issues here that were very advanced by the time he took office. Um, and I do think, like, it's whatever. I'm not I'm not saying this to let Biden off the hook or support the Democratic Party. I'm saying this because people need to have an accurate conception of the problem. Um, and the problem is so much deeper than what a technocrat could have handled by making smart policy.
7: Ad break. Yay break and we're back from out of space actual prediction republicans will win the senate
6: mm-hmm. yeah
7: which seems pretty like i think there's a decent chance democrats can keep the house um but i'm pretty sure senate's gonna go back to the republicans i mean that's... they are
5: damn near in control of the senate as it is um, yeah I mean, but yeah. They, they're
7: yeah but I, I i do believe that's gonna happen um and let's see other which yeah does does not seem that's not that far fetched of a thing and I don't know there'll be some other kind of tech fuckery the 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 space between Elon Musk Peter Thiel Silicon Valley there's gonna be I think there's gonna be some a worsening development of mm-hmm. like tech like technocratic stuff possibly in like possibly with like the mask of trying to like fix climate change or something but i think there'll be a decent growth of tech power and possibly mm-hmm. their like um cooperation with the state or the state like fund like, giving more ex- explicit like funding and permission to tech power to like do terraforming or like some geo like there's there's gonna be something related to that sphere that is a that's gonna get a lot more visible than it I currently see-
5: is my big tech prediction is that there is going to be a crime against humanity at some point this year like on a massive scale mm-hmm. not like just a mass shooting but like a state level crime against humanity and we're going to find out that for the last like 8 months Facebook had been paying the perpetrators a significant amount of money as a result of like some ill thought out ad program that they had yeah <laughs> like we're going to we're going to leap to Facebook actively funding an ethnic cleansing um, because some somebody thought up some sort of uh, affiliate program that was not well conceived. Um, that's my fun tech industry prediction.
6: My fun tech industry prediction is that uh, 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 Jeff Bezos will increasingly become the most cringiest man in the world. Yeah,
5: yeah it awesome. is very funny that the that picture, picture he posted on... <laughs> him on New Year's, he's just wearing a Dan Flash's shirt. He's he's absolutely wearing a Dan Flash's shirt, and that's incredibly funny. I...
7: Robert, Robert, that shirt cost him $3,000. Uh, because
5: the pattern is so complicated. It's very complicated. Look at how much the lines crisscross.
7: I, I... I, I, just, I just don't like you insisting that it's not as much money despite its complicatedness.
6: That yeah. that photo was my version of a holiday card. I sent it to everyone I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think we're going to see a lot more unions this year.
5: Yeah, that does seem to be a, a positive trend that we're seeing is a lot more unionization and some significant successes for and
6: and a lot more member. like like general acceptance of the concept of a union.
7: Other production related to, t- to tech industry stuff, I think. One of the billionaire spaceships things is going to have a disastrous launch. Uh, so, oh, pause, yeah. positive prediction: yeah. uh, spaceship's going to blow up with people inside it as it tries to take off. That's my that's my positive prediction that it can take some people with it. Um, sorry to the peop- sorry, sorry to the workers who are going to be probably harmed at that. But yeah, it can take some people out, so it's going to be funny. Um, that is that's possibility. Also. Uh, well, Garrison, there's going to be a dis- there's going to be a disastrous effect uh, around uh, uh, Austin uh, is right that's where that's where a lot of the spaceship stuff's getting set up. going to no be...
5: no 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 it's that's just where the offices are. It's like Boca oh, okay. Chica. It's like on the coast of Texas.
7: Oh, god, it. All it's right, not, I, I, not close enough to well, hurt Austin. Some some piece of a spaceship's going to fly through someone's house. No one's going to care sure. about it. Um, they probably going to kill a family or something. No one's going to care. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah, it'll be um, fine. That, th- those are my this is more of my tech industry predictions related to
5: spaceship stuff yeah um, yeah I, I also think on on a more uh, I, I don't know how the, the the current civil war in Myanmar is going to shake out. Um, but I, uh, I I think there's a chance that it becomes the first place where there is a successful or at least partially successful revolutionary movement. That is to a significant extent armed via 3d printed weaponry um they've all we've already seen a lot of that deployed by um the uh, the 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 rebels in Myanmar um i'm I'm interested in watching that because it's kind of the first time we've seen that technology used on a meaningful scale by people that aren't like organized crime um and yeah I, I think it's still too early to tell like how much of an actual like whether or not it's just kind of a distraction from, the more meaningful aspects of of the struggle, or in the more meaningful, like kind of deployments of of weaponry and other tools in the struggle, or whether or not it'll actually play a significant role in the armed struggle, but it's it's very much worth watching if you're somebody who pays attention to insurgent movements and and what is increasingly possible as a result of new technology.
7: I have another really bad prediction. Hmm. JK Rowling is gonna release a book on gender.
4: Oh
5: god. god. Oh. Uh, or she'll fund a YouTube channel.
7: Yeah, something. I think I, I think there's a decent chance she has been writing a book about gender and she's gonna release it in 2022. I think that is an actual actual series prediction.
6: Just go away.
7: And a whole mm-hmm. bunch of liberal moms are gonna buy it for each other and they're gonna read it and it's gonna be bad. Mm-hmm. And that is that is my that's my that's my horrible prediction.
5: She could be so beloved if she had limited her comments after publishing Harry Potter to if just she... repeatedly telling people that wizards uh-huh. are constantly shitting their pants.
7: If she just didn't use Twitter after anything mm-hmm. at all, and she could have been a different person.
5: Just it's, it's the Dave Chappelle thing. Just stay off. We all yeah. we all would have loved you forever if you, you could just have
6: just gone off and counted your money and left us alone.
5: Yeah, go be rich somewhere. It's fine to be done. It's fine to be done being famous and influential. You you ha- you did great. You did great. You never needed to come back. Ever. She, she, I don't. She did. I'm not sure if she did great. She did. She did. It, she did. Look again. It, 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 this is all colored by. If she had never come back into the public eye, all it would have been is like you remember that lady who got like twelve year olds to read seven hundred yeah. page books that one time. <laughs> Like people would not be as critical of the actual content of the Harry Potter books if she just hadn't kept coming back and saying shit. Anyway, so
7: that, and, that's and that, and that's and, my got, fair prediction. and and
6: then like didn't stop and then did not stop and then was told bad, really really bad, and then kept doing, it, and kept doing it and kept know, doing it and kept doing it and kept
5: doing it. Uh huh. I... You know what yep. people should be – look, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're a millionaire who was like hugely popular for some cultural reason in the late 90s and early 2000s, think about Bill Watterson. Bill Watterson, 1995, ends the most popular comic strip in the history of comics and spends the rest of his life in fucking Iowa painting landscapes and never talks to anybody with a platform again. And I, everybody loves Bill Watterson. Like, n- not a single person has a criticism of Bill Watterson. Um, just do that. Just do what he did. Just go paint landscapes in Iowa and don't talk to journalists or get on Twitter. It's fine. Does Bill Watterson believe know. regressive things about gender? Nobody knows because he doesn't say anything.
7: I think another prediction that is actually decently possible, I think we will get uh, more and more cities and or states to uh, decriminalize hard drugs mm-hmm. in in certain uh mm-hmm possession amounts um i think there is a there's a number of bills going around california um and a lot of other states and i believe that'll be start to become more and more common uh which will be great it would be nice if they get legalized but you know get 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 what you can for now um yeah speaking of drugs uh here's cbd (laughs) oil sponsored
5: by heroin
7: by by big drug here you go Mm -hmm. Have fun. Stay safe.
5: We're back. And I just want to let everybody know that if if everything gets legalized, uh, we will be sponsored by methamphetamine so fucking quickly, it will make your head spin. I will never turn down a drug sponsor. Um, except for like superfoods. We don't do superfoods. We don't do brain pills. No. But heroin? I would advertise the shit out of heroin. We don't do I'm uh, already ready the, to advertise heroin. We don't do
6: heroin. the hair loss drugs. We don't do the- but... but
5: heroin? Mm-hmm. Hey, is life depressing don't do and difficult? It. Don't do you know it'll it. make don't. life I, easier. I, I
6: take it back. Heroin. I hated, I hated <laughs> that I helped that bit. Uh, uh, Chris, you were you were saying something before break.
8: My my one serious prediction is I I don't think we've I I think we're we're gonna get one more big like latin american uprising and it will not be in argentina i have been eating shit for three goddamn years predicting it's going to be argentina because it's like oh they're getting an imf bailout, like oh it's just never argentina it won't be argentina it will be somewhere else but someone is someone is going to spend like two months doing a bunch of stuff that's extremely cool outside of argentina
5: i i kind of think um i don't know i'll be interested to see what happens in brazil because um it's yeah. hard to get a sense for the exact numbers but Yep. There's potential there. Um, there is potential there. With what's happened in Bolivia and what's happened in Chile, there's there's momentum in. The, the Broad area. There's it some is, exciting things. I, I say, yeah. like.
8: Th- I mean, th- like, the, I about, like There's huge. There's like enormous protest in Brazil, like all the time. Oh yeah, like, sure. There's, yeah, there's like massive. It just hasn't sort of like, like it, it hasn't turned into like everyone fighting the cops and like yeah. And I, may I don't know if it will because like, I don't know. I mean, this is this is this is my. Vibes based interpretation of it, but it feels like the 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 Workers Party has enough of a handle on the protests that they're not gonna sort of like explode because the PT just wants to win its election and get out of Bolsonaro.
5: But well, yeah, and I mean the 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 possibility of any kind of like actual revolutionary insurrection or anything relies heavily on like that path not working. For people yeah like they're not that they're not being that kind of safety balance. well i
8: mean i, I say yeah. this if, if they arrest lula again like yeah i i don't think I bolsonaro think, like i think there will be bolsonaro fires. will die in his
5: own shit like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that might happen even if his party stays in power <laughs> i mean that's true he's he actively dying <laughs> as we record this episode which is very funny um I got, as a result of one of our ad campaigns, several Aura picture frames uh, this year, and uh, right now we're loading one up that's just pictures of sick Bolsonaro to keep in my living room. So anytime I walk past, I can look at Jair Bolsonaro hacking up a (laughs) lung or having shit sucked out of his nose from a tube.
8: (laughs) Um, I will say, oh, my! my One more, like, very fast prediction about this is that Kissinger's going to live. He's not going to die. Oh, damn it, Chris. Live. God
5: damn it, Next Chris. year. Fuck
8: you. Fuck you, Chris. Yes. I allowed myself to hope for one for about, I allowed myself to hope for about eight hours, and I think he's going to live. Sad. but Maybe um, I'll be wrong. I don't know. It,
5: it would happen. have been pretty cool if Betty White's last action had been some sort of anti jihad.
7: take out Kissinger. Yeah, she becomes the
8: most loved American in human history, like goes out, just like jumping out of an airplane.
5: Like. Yeah. She parachutes into Kissinger's house with a flincing <laughs> knife.
7: <laughs> um, I'm going to say in Colorado, Oregon or Washington, we're going to get our first uh, safe uh drug injection site opened. Uh, I know yeah, they've I been think very pretty good. Shot they've of been that, yeah. they've been very successful inside different parts of Canada, specifically Vancouver, yeah. uh, Vancouver yeah. BC, and I believe one of those three states is going to get the first one. Um, I hope it's all of them. Yeah, um, if you want to
5: support some of those people up in Canada, go to Heroin Mart and buy a shoot dope, fuck the cops hoodie. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, but uh, safe, like safe, safe drug uh, injection and ingestion sites are uh, have been have been very good at preventing deaths in Vancouver, B.C., mm-hmm. and they're just a good idea in general, and I'll be excited at the prospect.
5: They're of... an incredibly good idea, and they also, if you're trying to, again, talk about this to conservatives in your life, they're cheaper they're than cheaper. just letting people be addicted to drugs on the street because yep. people don't steal stuff also, when their heroin's free.
7: Also, they won't have ridiculous medical bills that get paid by the mm-hmm. state.
5: And um, they're more likely to seek treatment, uh, even if you don't mandate that, Especially if you don't mandate that, because as a rule, people don't like having problematic addictions to drugs. And if they can deal with their immediate needs uh, and also know that there's help available, they will often choose to get help.
7: So, and I think I have have one more actual prediction, is that a new Matrix video game will, will be announced. And that is, that is all of my predictions.
5: Oh, we should probably talk about Matrix 4 briefly. That's what the people want, Garrison.
7: It is. It is what the people that want. Is.
5: And and for the record, this is going to be controversial because some people have no taste, but we both think it fucking ruled. It is I, so possibly, it dope.
7: possibly the best <laughs> Matrix film. It was, it was really is, fun. <laughs> it's it's very good. If you think about it for any amount of time, it gets mm-hmm. very good in the way it addresses the um, the system's power to incorporate revolt as mm-hmm. a part of the system, which was already teased inside me as a monetized re- aesthetic. Yeah. Reloaded. But yeah, like the matrix using the weapon that wants to find you against you and the matrix weaponizing all of your ideas against you um, is very good. Um I know Lana put a lot of thought into this, particularly yep. around who she is, how she's developed mm-hmm. and how her work has been turned against her and what she believes Um, both by, like, the people and also, like, corporately in terms of, like, achieving the correct amount of meta that it's not useless drivel Mm -hmm. while still actually being aware of what it is, um, I think was done well. I know there's there's some people in, like, the postmodern thing who think it don't who, who think it doesn't go meta enough and i think that's nonsense because if you go any if you if you point out that pointing out that pointing out revolting against the system is part of the system then you've lost everybody like no one cares because you you can yeah. add on those layers endlessly and it's just drivel um so i think they got the correct amount of meta while then a aband- not not abandoning that idea but moving it on being like you know you, you know it's more important than being meta is making friends and finding human connections because going through the world like this isolated like thomas anderson is when he's in the matrix as like as as a game designer a big part of that problem is that he's very isolated and the whole point is like no you need to find friends find connections get like like be have people around you to build a network of of and actually start like like loving other people is really one of the only ways out of this looping Cycle and layering of matrixes that we always live in um mm-hmm. it was it's a wonderful film I, um, I, yeah, I, I could like talk a lot. i could I could talk about it for hours, but yeah I we will could not. do a
5: whole podcast this talking <laughs> about why we enjoyed Matrix four um but it's it's pretty fun, and my only the only thing I'll add to that is a lot of people fools is, is fools. what I call them, are angry at the fact that it ended with the brass against cover of uh ah, Rage against the machine it was Wake so good. Up, it was so good. It was so and, good. And and uh-huh. it it the the cover of that song opens at exact. So the the sing the lead singer of Brass Against became briefly famous uh, mid late last year um, when she, during while playing that exact song on stage she urinated oh, yeah. into a fan's mouth and. The song that in the cover that ends the Matrix starts at exactly the moment where she peed in that guy's mouth during the live show. And I am certain that Lana Wachowski was planning to use the original Rage Against the Machine version of that song. And then that news dropped and was like, well, let's get these brass against people. I want want the piss song.
7: (laughs) One other thing I want to mention (laughs) um, is uh, reflecting on the analyst as a character and how he relates to kind of the meat space argument and how digital systems and algorithms and social media operates. He if you listen to him talk um and within the whole context whole, within the whole context of the film, he um you know, they I think there's actually some more insightful points than what you, what you might originally suspect around mm-hmm. like social media um and digitalness versus realness. Um just always you know always a mm-hmm. a factor in in matrix films but the way the way they handle it in this film I think is a lot more mature than all the topics they handle in their previous films and i mean there there's just so many like really good like single lines that offer, like, really good, like, oh, wow, like, that's just, like, a very good point, and then they just move past them so, like, mm-hmm. so effortlessly. Like, you could focus on any one of those really good lines, and they, they just offer up so many at, 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 at many points, and I like that they turned the Merovingian into Ted Kaczynski.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's just fun. Like, at the end of the day, it's just actually really fun, and it doesn't feel exactly like the other movies in the series which no. is what I want I don't like reboots I wasn't a fan of the Star Wars reboot because it was like I've seen Always this again movie. yeah yeah, yeah I, I I like I like that it I like that a lot of the action in this movie right up until kind of the end feels perfunctory and like I like Lana like kind of saying like I don't care about this part anymore like I've done the guys fighting agents in bullet time um that you know at the end there's some more uh some more loving action set pieces but like the, from the beginning it's very much it's much more like a really fun commentary on how hollywood works and how the video game industry works there's a fucking mass effect joke in there there's a joke about like the 1999 or 2000 matrix video game that happened before garrison was born it's so fun it's it's just a lot of fun as a movie
7: it's rad
4: mm-hmm.
7: well um, any, any other final, final predictions, uh, before we wrap up this, this uh, extremely well thought through episode that we've mm-hmm. poured our hearts and minds into? We
5: really it's- did.
6: Dr. Oz is going to go down in flames. Oh, I hope so. Oh man.
7: <sighs> man. If that ha I really I, have
5: no idea what to expect from. That I campaign.
7: have no idea. I am not making. I'm not. I'm not making any prediction on that because I uh, too. I've. idea. I've yeah, no I have idea no how it's idea. Go.
5: My the only thing that I'll say is that one way or the other, it's going to be a bellwether. If it like goes great for him and he wins easily, we're going to see a lot more. A like, lot. Doctor Phil Oz. is absolutely rolling into Jesus Congress Oz. if Christ. that works for Oz, um, and other other people who are kind of occupy similar cultural spaces will do the same thing, and then we'll have congressional inquiries about whether or not this simple trick will burn belly fat.
4: (laughs) It's going to be really good.
5: It's like, like if, if if that's what
8: happens, like the thing, the thing Trump's going to be remembered for, like is, is, is being like, well, the thing, the thing Reagan's going to be remembered for is being just like, like 50 years ahead of his Mm -hmm. time before we're literally all entirely ruled by just reality TV stars.
5: Mm -hmm. Whose wives are great at giving head. Should I? Did any, Did everyone already forget the Nancy Reagan throat goat discourse? Yes, oh, I understand I that she wrote just, goat discourse. <laughs> everyone,
6: everyone was so exhausted that. We, yeah, we if forgot. you didn't catch
5: this, it's a very well-known secret and has been for like fifty years. That back before they got married, and probably after, Nancy was famous for giving the best blowjobs in Hollywood.
4: Oh.
5: As 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 Garrison tosses the cat
8: every single episode, so <laughs> I disdain this discourse
7: now. <laughs> yeah.
6: 2022! What? It's a That's year. A
7: good... We're in it. Okay, my, my last prediction
8: is I actually do think this year is going to suck slightly less than 2021 did.
6: Yeah, mediocre. Now, I.
8: this, yeah. this is probably the big one I'm going to eat shit on, but, like, hopefully something I mean, hopefully good you don't is going to happen. Hopefully somewhere. you're right about it. Sorry, yeah, I'm, be... I'm
5: hoping. Um. No, yeah, I, I think that there's a decent chance that we're that it's better um i it's at least in some ways the climate stuff as it nearly always will for the foreseeable future will keep getting worse but yeah i think there's actually a chance that covid will get better not because of any policy decision but because omicron literally 90% of human beings in in the world get it and those that survive it's covid stops passing on as much which is kind of vaguely speaking what happened with you know, the influenza and I, other I, of other epidemics.
7: I, do, I will be probably foolish in making one more prediction that is like around the fall, we will not see spikes as big as we saw this last year. Um, I, I, I do think th- there will probably still be some, but I, I do think the numbers are going to be generally trending down um, yeah. after Omicron hit, hits its peak. Just because how many people will get infected and how many yeah. antibodies plus vaccines will be circulating – um and how many people have already been who who don't take the vaccine have will already have like died off <laughs> like yeah. it's I I, I do we're not think, saying like,
5: that to be like flippant or to be like it's no good. But it's like it's, I just it's, that's, that's what's just happening what the world it, is that you have yeah, it's Sorry. the world that
7: we live in <laughs> I hate it <laughs> um but um, I, I I I do hope and I I, I do hope and sl- some s- slightly predict that we'll have less less spiking numbers around. This next yeah. fall and winter, as we did this current, you know, fall yeah. and winter season. I wouldn't oh, mind
5: okay. ending on a note of appreciation for the fucking booster, because uh, we got it. You and I both garrisoned, as did most of our friends, and had just a shitload of COVID flying around us. This whole, yeah, whole- we're we're season, COVID was
6: everywhere. I love my a lot booster. of
5: infections, and we were fine. Fine.
8: I have, great. I have one one of my mm-hmm. friends got covid and her mom who they live in the same house did not like has not yeah. gotten covid because they're wearing masks and they got the booster so
6: and yeah. for for all my friends that that did get covid that had that were boosted the booster yeah, like, the like vaccine did its job they're you're not we in had the a hospital you're double you're...
5: test positive on a rapid yeah. test and then test negative on a PCR Probably because by the time he got to the PCR, like the next day, his viral load was just so fucking low. Um, Get that third vax. The vaccine works. Who could have predicted? Who Who could could have have predicted that that the the things that are literally the entire basis of our modern concept of the value of human life um, continue to be very effective?
7: All right. Well, that that does it for us. Um, Un un unplug go spend time outside touch grass mm-hmm. touch your mirror like trying to yeah. go through it because yeah try to you go through your mirror um what's real you know, and what's
5: not see if see if maybe you were the the digital messiah and you have been trapped in a simulation where you work at a food lion um and and you can break free of it um but not fly anymore cuz now your girlfriend does
7: He the does flying. he does fly with Trinity at the end.
5: He does fly with Trinity, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just as we all can only fly with, with carry of our loved well, with Carrie ad moss in specific. Yeah, so that's right. That's
7: <laughs> Specifically. Right here, so. Who has gotten so much hotter as they've aged? Alright, well that's all right. the episode. Well,
5: that's that's where we end.
0: Subject to eligibility requirements, rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
9: Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin.
2: private put down your phone this is the army sort high five casino is a social casino it's on your phone goes wherever you go i win free spins cash prizes free down rewards over 1200 games i want again platoon present cell phone high five.
10: high five high five
2: casino Casino. win at high five casino high five casino is a social casino no purchase necessary void we're prohibited play responsibly conditions apply see website for details
10: high
4: five casino
5: Hey everybody, welcome to It Could Happen here. I am Robert Evans and this is the show where we talk about how everything's kind of falling apart and how we might put it back together again in a way that works better than it did before. Um, Or do something different that is uh, even... anyway, whatever. It's a show about the future and about the messed up present. Um, And as a result of that, one of the things we talk about a lot is self-sufficiency. We've had a number of episodes kind of covering the values of like replacing your lawn with food, guerrilla gardening, that sort of stuff. And one of the critiques we get is people saying, well, you know, that's never going to work on a large scale. It's never going to replace industrial agriculture or whatever. And that's perfectly true. But the, the, the point we're going for here and why we encourage these kind of resilience building activities is because they do improve the ability of communities to resist when they need to resist and also provide opportunities by which people can reimagine their relationship to, for example, the food supply chain or reimagine their relationship to their community and the kind of things that communities provide for each other rather than having them shipped in by Amazon. Um, And when we start talking about that, when we start talking about improving community resiliency for things like you know, a general strike uh, or even potentially more radical stuff – one of the big issues that any community has to confront is not just food but medicine I'm I do and I'm sure a lot of other people have friends who cannot survive without medications that are very Im- like r- reliant upon existing supply chains um and to some extent even the stability of the government you know um getting your insulin getting your medication for whatever kind of, disease you have that that needs constant medication. There's a bunch of different reasons why people are reliant upon the medical um, supply lines and upon the kind of pharmaceutical industry. And that's one of the big, when we talk about building more resilient communities, one of the big hurdles to jump. Well, today, my guest is someone who is working on bridging some of these problems. Um, his name is Michael Lawfer, and he is the founder of an organization called the Four Thieves Vinegar Collective. Uh, they are biohackers, um, and they are working on cracking certain pharmaceutical medications to allow individuals with resources that are generally available to people who are not rich uh, or pharmaceutical companies um, to produce life saving medications. Um, the number one thing you would have heard of uh, from Four Thieves is the Epi Pencil, uh, which we'll talk about in a bit. But first, Michael, thank you for coming on the show.
12: Thanks so much for having me. It's exciting to be able to chat and talk with. You and all the people surrounding you who are trying to just unfuck things a little bit.
5: Yeah, yeah. And I, I most of the conversation I want to have today is on the the unfucking of things variety. But I, I do think we should start with a little bit of technical talk. First, can you sure. give people an idea of what kind of medications you and other people in the collective have figured out how to produce Um and what kind of resources an individual needs to be able to do some of this stuff?
12: Sure, so from a technical perspective, most of the things that we focus on are what's called small molecule chemistry. And to kind of describe that blanketly, if you can draw the molecule on a cocktail napkin, it probably qualifies as a small molecule. If it's one of these things that like, you know, if you look at the diagram for the molecule, it's a protein, it's got big ribbons that are colored and stuff. That's a, that's a biochem thing and it's a whole different set of problems. Now the main foci that we've had have been surrounding access to abortion access to HIV medications, access to hepatitis C medications, and access to reversal of drug overdose medications. So that's been sort of our main focus, but there have been a handful of others. The things that we tend to look for are, where are there things that there's a great need and there's a huge barrier? And so you see those in those places a lot because the The three main barriers that tend to pop up between somebody and access to the medication they need are either price or legality or lack of infrastructure. And typically, the weirdness that comes up mostly surrounds price because of intellectual property laws and marginalization of people who suffer from particular ailments or seen to suffer predominantly from particular ailments. And so if you're, if you're poor and you're in a class of people that is seen as something not to be cared about because they're not a strong voter base, then the ability to move access away from those people and put in more barriers and raise prices becomes easier to defend. Um. So, the first drug that we focused on was a an anti-parasitic. Um, toxoplasmosis is a parasite that's pretty innocuous for most people.
5: Yeah, Anybody, it's the one you get from cats, right? Or is this not Gandhi? Yeah, okay, no, yeah. it is,
12: it is the one you get from cats, and it's a really fascinating parasite, too. It is, if you, yeah. If you, if you ever dig <laughs> yeah. into the behavioral biology of it, it's a mm-hmm. really, really fascinating parasite. Um, I probably have it,
5: um, yeah. I, I have three cats, I definitely have it,
12: <laughs> right? And, and so, and so it's not a big deal for yeah. those people, but if you have a massively compromised immune system, especially with people with HIV or advanced stages of cancer, and that's why it was labeled as sort of a you know hiv drug it's not it's a it's an anti-parasitic mm-hmm. but it's used almost exclusively by people who are in advanced stages of cancer uh people with fairly compromised immune systems from hiv or something else and then pregnant women mm-hmm. um and it's not that big a deal uh, if you have access to the medication you can merely take it and eradicate it from the body um the difference was, is that something that was a short course of treatment, you'd take, I think four, um, yeah, four doses the first time around and then one dose each day, subsequently for something like 10 days. Um, and that's not a big deal when each dose, each pill was about $13 and a half dollars. And then Martin Jokreli jacked up the price to $750 a pill mm-hmm. and so I like, well, this is ridiculous. So <laughs> that mm-hmm. was the first one that we went after. Then of course, access to abortion drugs. Um, that's a big one that's pretty topical yeah. lately. We released a video, I don't know, maybe three months ago on how you can make your own abortion pills without too much fuss.
5: This would be Mifepristone, right?
12: Uh, mifepristone and misoprostol. So yeah. you can do it with just Misopristol or you can do it in combination. Mm-hmm. And when you do it with just the one with just the miso you have about an 85 percent chance of it working and if you have both it bumps it up to about 95
5: and what is the like what are, when you're doing this and we'll talk a little bit about the hardware but like what is the reagent that you have for this because I, I know that's been a big part of some of the discussions is like how do you get the things you make the medicines from which is easier for some than it is for others
12: sure there are a couple different ways that you can go about that the um the interesting but more difficult way of course is to do the chemistry from scratch mm-hmm. where like you say you get access to reagents you do some chemistry and you end up with the active pharmaceutical ingredient which we lovingly refer to as the API and then you package it somehow into a tablet or a pill or a um, or some other means of uh, ingress into the body. Um, the instructions that we distributed skip the difficult part because uh, misoprostol is an ulcer medication,
4: oh.
12: and uh, so, for instance, if you have access to Mexico or are in Mexico, it's kind of not a big deal because, as an ulcer medication, it's over the counter. And you can just go in and say, oh, you know, my grandmother can't get out of bed. She needs this ulcer medication. I I need just a little bit of it to get her through the weekend. Um, And then no problem. Uh, Not so easy in places where it's a little more controlled, like the U.S. However, one amazing trick when looking for medicines access to medicines that are generally blocked from people that the existing power structure tries to disenfranchise from access, is you look and see if it's similarly used for other classes of person or being that the infrastructure does care about. So interestingly, you look for ulcer medications, you say, well, like, who else has ulcers that you know, people might think are important people that doesn't really come up. And there are other ulcer medications that are a little bit better. However, there are a lot of really wealthy people in the United States and really wealthy people tend to keep horses and and horses. Interestingly, um, 95% or something, or maybe more, uh, some uh, ungodly percentage of domesticated horses have ulcers. Um, now, why that is, I'm not entirely clear about, but my own theory is that it has something to do with taking a gigantic wild animal and putting it into a very small box for most of its life.
5: Yeah, it doesn't seem like the thing that horses evolved to do.
12: Yeah. So <laughs> so that said, people who are horse owners typically have to treat them constantly for ulcers. And mm-hmm. the best thing for that is misoprostol, And so you can get uh, misoprostol powder in a tub from places that...
5: Yeah, feed will, store or something. Yeah, I go to a feed store every week. I'm sure I could buy a bucket of this shit.
12: Probably. Yeah. So it comes in tubs. And th- the other thing that's great about it coming in a tub is that it's already in with a buffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the thing about misoprostol is that the dosage is in micrograms. And that's very mm-hmm. hard to weigh unless you have a really... Yeah high precision scale.
5: Even your good drug dealers generally don't have a scale that can do that.
12: (laughs) Right. So, but the magic is, is this is in a tub with a bunch of inert powder and Mm -hmm. it's, it's already mixed up to be homogenous. And so what you can do is you can do a little bit of back of the envelope uh, arithmetic and you can measure out much larger quantities and know how much active ingredient you have and then pack that into a tablet.
5: Wow, yeah. Um, I mean, that makes so much sense, and is also like, like the uh, you have kind of the dark side and light side version. It's kind of the light side version of all of those people buying up ivermectin for for nonsense. It's like, well, no, there's reasons to buy. You know, like uh, 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 livestock medication, especially. um, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of friends who took fucking fish antibiotics back in the day, and this is kind of a much more Using it in a much more rigorous way to provide people with something that can is getting it it will be getting increasingly difficult to access in a lot of parts of the country. Um, Yeah, it's just such a smart way of approaching it, I think.
12: Yeah, and and one of the things that becomes philosophically a, a bit sticky is when you end up talking about the importance of independent management of one's own health and decision-making not coming from above. There's this difficult moment that I've had kind of having to cop to the reality that if you're building mechanisms to empower people to have access to make decisions about managing their own health, Mm -hmm. part of that entails realizing that that will also lead to a lot of people making what I might think are bad decisions. Mm -hmm. But that the important thing is that it doesn't matter what I think, that people should not be controlled by other people. And if they make bad decisions, that sucks. And hopefully we can help that, but not, not lamenting the importance of or, or not not backtracking, not having some sort of retrograde uh, regret yeah. about offering more access, even if people misuse that access to mismanage their own health. Mismanagement yeah. of health happens no matter what, right? It happens constantly and people will ignore things that seem like they're bigger problems and don't get them addressed. And so I have to sort of retreat into this idea that more access to more tools is mm-hmm. better and that's just the way of it. And yeah, and the, the
5: problem yeah. I mean the problem with ivermectin isn't the problem. The problem is not that people have access to ivermectin and so they're taking it in a way that is harmful to them. The problem is that people have been have ha, have been blinded by disinformation and right. so are making a horrible healthcare decision. The yeah, the fact that they have access good. to veterinary medication is fine. <laughs>
12: Right. Exactly. And, and it's, and it's interesting that you say that because I have a friend at Doctors Without Borders and they are starting a couple of pretty strong programs to try and combat misinformation because Mm -hmm. just from a uh, metric standpoint, they look for sort of like what's killing the greatest number of people Mm -hmm. at the greatest rate in the worst way. And currently the thing that's killing the most people in the worst way at the greatest rate is misinformation. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, that's, that's and, really the great danger.
5: And one of the things I find really interesting about kind of what y'all have been doing, because um, obviously the question of how to fight the misinformation in the medical sphere is a much larger conversation without simple answers. When it comes to a question like, oh, hey, this pharmaceutical company jacked up the price by, what, 750% for this necessary medication for people, a lot of people who have HIV, Um What do we – the solution to that is simple. You find a way for them to get it without paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars per dose. Um, The question – some of the work y'all have done is with very uh, mass-needed products like the Mifepristone, like the EpiPencil, um, where there's large numbers of people who need it. But a lot of what I think – one of the things I think is really cool is y'all are also working on hacking medications that are very niche, like very, very few people have this particular disease and so the medication is is costs as much as a fully loaded Toyota Tacoma, you know, in order to... Oh, and sometimes
12: yeah. far worse than that yeah. because of this orphan drug act that got passed in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and equivalents that exist in other places, you have all of these allowances that are granted to people who invent, I put in air quotes, mm-hmm. um, because really they just purchase the rights to it mm-hmm. uh, these these orphan drugs where when you talk about controls it's kind of the most tragic incidence of that entirely because what's happening is you've got somebody who has a very rare disease and in many cases you have something that's the difference between somebody who just cannot function And they're dealing with their life kind of moment to moment. They're they're mostly cared for. And if they have access to a particular medication, then they can go through life in a fairly normal sort of way where they, they don't need to be in assisted living where they can do sort of basic things for themselves. And and that, that seems so much more predatory. Mm. I mean, it's important, of course, you know, to look at things, with that macro lens as well and say what can, what can do a lot of good for a lot of people. But then the sort of micro ethical lens needs to come out from time to time and say, all right, well, here's something that only affects a few hundred thousand people across the world. But these are people who could just go through life normally. If only they had access to a little bit of medicine. Yeah. And the only reason that they don't is because of misplaced avarice or all all avarice is misplaced because of avarice.
5: (laughs) Yeah. And you're, you're, you're providing individuals or a way for people to, to help individuals who have this problem and who can't, couldn't possibly afford this because they don't have healthcare or something, a way to deal with these illnesses. Um, And and oftentimes
12: like even, even people who are insured don't get the medication that they need or don't get it at an affordable rate because it's not seen as critical. Yeah. Um it's like, oh, well there's a there's a solution that's not as good, but it's much less expensive, so mm-hmm. that's the only thing we're going to cover. And so,
5: yeah. Yeah, and you're saying, well, it should be your decision whether or not this is something you want to treat this way and and we're this is a way if you, you know, have access or this is a way for you to kind of as you've been saying, like take your health care and your ability to get medication into your own hands and produce the things that you need without needing to beg an insurance company or go fund me $85,000 or whatever. Yeah. Um, those
12: gofundmes break my heart so much.
5: Yeah. It's especially it's
12: when people say, Oh, look how great somebody got mm-hmm. the money that they needed. And I say, look, I am happy that people get health care, but yeah. this should be entirely unnecessary and the fact that this comes up is is criminal.
5: Yeah, we can we can as a species produce this shit for less than the cost of like a lamp, you know? Like why why don't why isn't this available? Um now I, I and that's what I think is kind of so powerful about what y'all are doing and is that so so often we kind of get stuck in this like the horror of how bad healthcare is, of how fucked up the pharmaceutical industry is. And then we get our relief from that in these stories of people like crowdfunding so they can get their (laughs) medication. And what you're saying is, well, what's actually much more inspiring than that is people just making – finding ways to make what they need. Um, Again, kind of the most popular – popular is the wrong word. The most press you all have received I think is for the EpiPencil, which is – an EpiPen is a device that you take – that is used when people are going into anaphylactic shock, which is when they have an allergic reaction that will kill them if untreated generally – um, and it you inject it into your muscles um, or generally like an EpiPen does the injecting. You just kind of put it in place. Um, and it it is a life-saving medication. When people need it, it's the choice between that and death. Um, and they are very expensive. There is a company that owns the patent because of how the EpiPen actually does the injecting. The actual medicine is very cheap and very easy to make, but it's unbelievably expensive. And people die as a result of lack, to, uh, lack of access. Um, and you've provided a way using both kind of this thing called a bio lab that people you've developed plans that people can build it for themselves in order to make this. And also using a 3d printer, you can make, um, an epi pencil, which is a little less kind of a more analog version. I think, I guess you'd say, uh,
12: no, it's, it's, it's equivalent. It's equivalent. It works the same way. The things that are different about it that, um, are critical. The first one that you mentioned, of course, is that you can, you can build it for, a little over thirty dollars US, mm-hmm. and you can reload it for about three dollars. Uh, unlike the EpiPen, which is, a, I think, it's about six hundred and fifty dollars yeah. for yeah, um, and that might be for a pair. But even yeah, so, it's two. Uh,
5: yeah.
12: Um, but the other two critical differences are that EpiPens are single use. So you can't test whether it's faulty or not until you use it. Yeah. And there have been a lot of failures. In fact, there was a big EpiPen recall a bunch of years ago, and there were just these tragic, tragic stories. Some guy had to watch his little kid die. He had, had a pair of EpiPens. The kid went into shock. He used it. The thing failed. He brought the other one, the other one failed and they're in the air and you can't land in 15 minutes and the little kid died. Mm-hmm. Which just, And I'm sure there are dozens of dozens of stories like that that just happens to be one of the ones I know. So one of the things that's great about the EpiPencil is because you're putting it together yourself and it only takes four parts, you can test it. You can make sure that it works as many times as you need to, you can dry run it with saline and just double check that it does what it's supposed to. Um, and so it's safer. So the fact that it's, you can control it yourself, you can reload it and you can test it. All of these things fix a lot of these immediate problems. Yeah. That, Come with, and it still has the benefit that everybody wants from the EpiPen, which is that it doesn't require, um, you know, measurement or Mm -hmm. like knowing how deep to press the needle before you depress the plunger. All of that happens automatically and it happens very quickly. Um, And yeah, we, as you say, we got a lot of press for that because. Uh, essentially a good timing we released that yeah. the same time that heather brash was lying to congress about why they had raised the price on the epipens and, um, and so it was in the public eye yeah,
5: yeah. and and that's that's a huge one uh, being able to produce that because that is i mean there's a, a tremendous number of people who rely on uh epipens um and and i think the potential of that project uh is is Staggering, Um, and there's some. There's some. You know, we when we talk about kind of the different people who are who are working on similar problems to you. There's also a group of people who are working on um, cracking insulin, being able to produce insulin. um, Yeah, the Open Insulin
12: Project is an amazing group of people.
5: Incredibly important. Yeah, they're
12: yeah they're working on probably the largest scale public health crisis. I mean, in terms of queries that we get, Mm -hmm. I think we get people asking about insulin more than anything else. And I always say, oh yeah, they're very, very bright people who are already working on this. Go talk to The Open Insulin. Um, And and they're just amazing.
5: I I, want to move on because I want to talk about kind of the more um, uh, philosophical dimensions of some of this. But before we get into that, I'd like to... So, like, you know, one of the things you and I have been talking about a little bit behind the scenes is I am not a technically savvy person, but I am I want to try and uh, I'd like to be able to, like, produce an EpiPencil. I want to, like, understand this and kind of – and and potentially be able to contribute um, in a more direct sense, in part because I'm curious, like, how how doable actually is this for – I consider myself a pretty normal person when it comes to, like, technical understanding, right? Like, I'm reasonably handy, but I'm not – uh, I'm not a chemist. I'm not a – uh, I haven't am not really – I have no prior experience 3D printing or anything like that. What is, what is required in terms of financial investment and, and what is kind of your general estimate in terms of time to get up to, you know, a kind of a, 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 the level where you can start uh, learning how to do some of this stuff?
12: I think the barrier to entry is pretty low depending on how you want to start uh, mm-hmm. As I said, there are different avenues to doing it. You can, of course, one of the, one of the greatest hacks if, if anybody listening to this doesn't pick up anything else, here's the best hack in terms of getting access to medication. You have a medication you don't have access to for whatever reason. Assuming it comes in a capsule form, you can merely go to a chemical supplier, purchase the active pharmaceutical ingredient, weigh it out, put it into a capsule. And you've made your medication. That's a very simple thing. You know mm-hmm. that takes nothing more than being able to read a scale and scooping powder into little you know capsules. Uh, the next step up, there are things that you can do that are a little more involved. If you want to build an epipencil, again, this is three or four parts, depending on how you count. You take a, a needle from one syringe needle set. On. You put it onto a different syringe needle set, and then you put it into this auto-injector that's designed for needle diabetics. Uh, you load it with the epinephrine, and you close it up, and you're done. Um, s- then if you want to step into this a little bit further, if something is so barriered for whatever reason that you can't get the actual ingredient, then you might start messing around with our micro-lab. The micro lab, I would say, probably takes around $100 US to build um, it. But it's not super technical. Our latest version doesn't require any soldering. Everything snaps together, which is really nice. You can plug everything in. Um, all of the wires are just screw terminals, which is really convenient. Um, and it takes some time. And you do have to load some code. But we're looking to release a a new set of documentation in the summer that'll be very, very stripped down of, here's your bill of materials. You can order all of this stuff. Here's how you can put the disc image onto the SD card that you put in and you should start it and it'll wake up and work independently. Um, We had a video of our head Hardware guy actually building the micro lab from just parts that were sitting on laid out on a table. And I think all told, it took him about 45 minutes.
4: Oh, wow. Maybe a little bit
12: longer. But again, like granted, this guy's a hardware specialist and he, you know, designed it. So for somebody who's not done before, it might take an afternoon. But it's not it's not a, a prohibitively long or involved project that, you know, would take you weeks to put together or any specialized understanding of, uh, you know, uh, biomedical engineering or anything like that.
5: Now, um I, I kind of want to move at this point because I think that gives people an idea of what's actually necessary and they can go to y'all's website um, or look up, you have plans on a GitHub um, if they want to kind of look at what's, what's involved. And it's um, some of it seems a little daunting to me, like look, looking at the construction of the bio lab, but I'm, I, that that's going to be a project that I'll be engaging in over the next couple of weeks. So i will keep people updated on how I do there. Um, I want to move on to talk, Michael, about what you see as kind of the, um, I don't know, I, the, the the potential from kind of a revolutionary perspective, from a perspective of actually building dual power of this project. And obviously you are in, I think, what would would be called the early stages of this idea of kind of democratizing and decentralizing the production of life-saving medications. Um, although I guess you could argue in some ways it's kind of a, a return to more traditional attitudes about healthcare in a lot of ways. <laughs>
12: Yeah, there's a cyclic nature there. Mm -hmm. And in the sort of Zen mind, beginner's mind, we like to think that revolution is always in its beginning stages, right?
4: Mm
12: -hmm. Um, That to say, over the past decade, roughly, looking at trying to find ways to give people more independent access that doesn't require infrastructure to medicines and medical technologies. The, the hope really is to create a certain amount of cultural shift. Uh, I remember at one point a uh, a friend of mine who was a business school graduate asked me a very sort of like uh, business school type question where he said, "How would you measure success of your project?" Um, and I said, "Well." we cease to exist as an organization. And he kind of had this moment of like, what do you mean? We shouldn't be pushing this, right? The idea is that eventually the concept of managing your own health is sufficiently normalized that it's not something that has to be explained between people, but somebody says, oh yeah, I I just did that up in my micro lab. In the same way that when you look at the shift that happened between, oh, you know, the the mid-80s and the mid-90s where computers were this strange, scary thing that was, you know, were only accessible or usable by people who were very specialized to something that, you know, everybody knew about and everybody kind of had and everybody sort of used Mm-hmm. And the same sort of thing that happened between the period of time, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years ago, and, and now with uh, with 3D printing, where like stereolithography and rapid prototyping was again the specialized thing that a bunch of people who were essentially out of the machine tool industry had started to spearhead. And now you say 3D printing, everybody knows what it means. In the same sort of way, I very much like to see a cultural shift where when somebody is unwell, that when discussions between people happen, that instead of the "have you had that looked at or you might instead hear from somebody saying, "Well, have you read up on that
4: mm-hmm. you
12: know to see people Actually, engaged in their own health, and not going through this very typical process of outsourcing responsibility. Now, that's not to say that like experts aren't good people with whom to consult, right?
5: Yeah, we're not it, talking about replacing the idea of medical professionals who who can help you understand what your health and diagnose and stuff. Like, yeah,
12: but there is again this drastic difference between going to a doctor. And essentially just like throwing the problem on their desk and saying, fix it. Call me when it's over versus going to a doctor and saying, hey, I'd like to talk about this. Yeah. I, I'd like to know more about what's wrong here. And I'd like to n- discuss what the options are and what seems best. Um, that would be great on a lot of levels. And And then these questions of access to medication then become even more relevant because when you're talking with a doctor and the doctor says, okay, well, we could try this therapy, but your insurance won't pay for it. It's $300,000. You can say, all right, well, let's just do a little thought experiment. And if that fell from a truck, what would I do with it? And then Mm -hmm. maybe you can go home and say, you know, I'll call you and let you know how it goes. I, I, that's, that's really my, my grand hope. And there are so many different ways that that can play out. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a hilarious story in regards to this, which was in, in 2016, I guess it was when we presented it, Hope. Um, I called Martin Shkreli's cell phone from stage uh, <laughs> to try and ask him what he thought about what we were doing, given that I was handing his drug out for free. Um and showing people how to make it. And he didn't answer the phone when I called him then, but he called me back a few hours later, which was really Whoa. hilarious. Huh. We actually chatted for a while. And the guy's a little, I mean, a little detached from reality, but he's mm-hmm. he's he's no dummy. Um and when I sort of described what we were trying to do with the micro lab, he had some interesting insights, and he said. Yeah, you know, one way I can imagine that working really well is if somebody with a, a little more knowledge of pharmaceutical medicine were to maybe build one of these and serve a small community, I think that, that could be very efficient. And I was like, that's a good thought, mm-hmm. you, you chiseling bastard. Um, yeah.
5: I mean, that, <laughs> but, there's a degree yeah. in which that's, that's kind of how I see – the most realistic potential of this is not every individual making all of their medicine but kind of like you know we had during the fires last year when when our local and state governments during the heat wave this year like completely shat the bed we had different mutual aid collectives do things like we are providing people with like oh it's a blizzard we're providing people with firewood we are providing people with cooling stations because of the heat you know we are providing people with they've just fled their houses we have kits that have food and basic necessities so they can get through mutual aid collectives that are like, well, we are making, we specialize and we can produce this and this and this medication. Like these three and we have, and here's the information you can find online about our process. So you know that we know what we're doing. And if you need these things, you let us know and we, we get them to you. And here's different ways in which people can volunteer. If you want to help engage in this mutual aid process, even if you're not someone who's going to be doing a lot of the technical stuff, well, we need people to go pick up parts or we need people to do this and you can help us here or, you know, I see yeah, a lot of all potential of that. And that. I think, yeah. yeah, and
12: I think in a similar way, right, a lot of that sort of thing is already happening mm-hmm. in other realms, right, where it's the sort of thing where you, you might be building something or you, you see some project on GitHub or whatever and some there are these STL files and you go, oh, gosh, well, I don't know how to do that, but oh, right, XYZ down the street mm-hmm. has a 3D printer. I'll go ask her. She's really good at making these things and you say, hey, look, I have this thing. Would this be difficult to print? And with their experience, they can kind of look at it and be like, uh no, that that shouldn't be too hard. Um, you know, I, I have some time this weekend, maybe I can make that for you. And in the same way, if you say, hey, it looks like I I seem to have this rare infection from mm-hmm. whatever, whatever, or I have this odd condition. Um, I wanted to try this medication because it might be really helpful, but it's not legal in this country. Do you think you could put this together? Again, you know, you call somebody and whoever's on the other line says, oh, yeah, I I have a micro lab. I I can try and put a program together for that and see if I can make it for you. You That sort of thing, I think, is a potentially really positive avenue for that sort of thing to proliferate. And again, eventually to have a cultural shift where the idea of medicine and medical technology not being something that is comes down from above from some authority, Mm -hmm. but instead is something that's managed by people who are part of your community, who you already trust. I mean, that's why going to a doctor is so scary. They seem to be the arbiter of your fate. Mm -hmm. They're going to tell you whether you're well or not. And and that is just the truth Mm -hmm. and much better to have it where people are making up their own mind based on learning about their own health and consulting with people who can give them perspective. Um, yeah. And if there's more of that, and if it's closer to the person who's actually suffering, that I think will be on the whole much better.
5: Yeah, it's this, uh, the, and this gets tangled up in a lot of the more toxic things we've seen this year, but it's this, this understanding that with any given problem if individuals trying to solve that problem have more autonomy and part of autonomy is knowledge that's nearly always better um the problem of course is that like we we get into this situation we are now where some people take i'm take some people some people use i want to uh, uh take control of my healthcare to you know do stuff that's nonsense and and that brings us back to the question of like yeah, you in the quality of the information that you're getting is very important, right? Because if if your if you if the your research is some YouTube video that has convinced you that you need to, you know, take this this horse paste or something, then yeah, that's not good. But that doesn't change the fact that, like with food, like with with everything that you need to survive, the more of a role you have in. Understanding that, deciding what to do with that, understanding where it comes from and how it is produced, um, not just like, not only is that I think more satisfying as a human, but it's it's also critical to to your well being. Um, it's critical to like well, on your... two
12: levels, right? Yeah, on two levels because not only <sighs> when your health is taken from you, yeah it doesn't deprive you of life, but it deprives you of participating in any of the acts that make life meaningful. Yeah. And part of that key thing that makes life meaningful is having a participatory role in the things that decide the trajectory of your life. And so when you go to the lengths of managing your own health Two things happen. First off, your health improves, assuming you've made good decisions and get lucky. Yeah. But second, you're also having a participatory role in your life, and that makes life more meaningful.
5: And it beyond just kind of the self-actualization benefits from from a perspective of actually enabling people to participate in the move for radical change in our society. One necessary element of that to any of the kind of things that we need is a belief in your own agency and power Um, and also a freedom from the kind of fear that comes from feeling helpless. And there is, I think, probably no feeling worse in the world than feeling completely helpless about a treatable medical problem. Um, I mean, it's one thing. I just went through very this with my true. mom. When you get a disease where there's just nothing that science can do, right? Where like, yeah, you've got this cancer and there there ain't shit anybody has for you, you know? That's one kind of horrible, but I think it's a lot less terrible than you – I I have this thing that we can deal with, but I either can't afford it or I don't know that I'll be able to afford it. I had a horrible – I lost my job and my healthcare in 2017 and so did um, a person who was on my healthcare with me that I love very much – and I got this, you know, hired here in healthcare a couple of years later. And it happened that a month before the the I started my healthcare at this new job, this person who was on my healthcare with me um got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And thankfully not a cancerous one, but a one that they had to take medication for that would have been would have bankrupted us, you know, without
12: mm-hmm. the mm-hmm.
5: without insurance. And yeah. thankfully it worked out fine. The timing worked out okay. But there's not a week that goes by that I don't, and it it it's it's it it is something that makes you less willing to take risks, less willing to participate in in things that because yeah. you have in the back of your head, well, I have to I have to keep this job, I have to keep this insurance, I have to. I, oh I, yes, I, yeah, uh, that and, that and is, that, that's another <laughs> yeah. thing that I
12: find so heartbreaking. There's so many people that I've I've met totally outside of my activism mm-hmm. who. Lament about working a job that they hate. And I say, gosh, well, you know, I mean, it, it, you mm-hmm. consider just bailing on it and looking for something else and trying something else. And and they have this total paralysis of saying, but if I quit my job, I won't have healthcare. Mm-hmm. And 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 mind you, like these were people who were incredibly healthy. These were not people who had any regular visits to healthcare. They're just scared that if something comes up, they won't yeah. be able to handle it. And it's, it's a perfectly well-grounded fear. But as you point out, what this does is it works as this sort of shadow oppressive mechanism to keep people from exploring, trying things, as you say, taking risks or, or just doing things that, that don't involve a, an optimization Mm -hmm. toward a stable state of maybe just like, yeah, maybe I'll start a small business and yeah, probably will fail, but that'll be a cool adventure. And most people, you know, so many people, maybe not most, but many, many people um, get, just terrified into this mm-hmm. state of inertial paralysis.
5: Yeah, and it contributes to people being afraid to take to the street to pro- protest the police because maybe they get arrested and maybe they get fired and then you know maybe their kid can't afford their in- like there's a thousand ways. I think honestly, the fear of losing your health care is in some ways as great a greater counter revolutionary force than any law enforcement agency could hope to be because the fear is so much more immediate to so many people.
12: Nobody talks about that.
5: Yeah. And thank you so much for mentioning
12: it because it's something that like, oftentimes I try to bring up when I'm discussing things in public for it. And, and oftentimes people kind of raise an eyebrow at me and be like, what's, what's the big deal. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like if you look two layers deep, mm-hmm. there's something that's really working against people being able to exercise protest and it's uh it's 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 this really silent, terrifying force that seems to underlie everything. Yeah. And if you could alleviate that, if it could get to the point where people are like, Yeah, the hell with it, you know, I don't I don't need a job to take care of me. Yeah. Then all of a sudden so many possibilities just blossom in the mind.
5: Yeah. I, I... If you have, like, say, if you're a parent who has a child with, you know, who, who's insulin dependent, uh, there's not a, a lot of difference in my mind between the fact that, between someone holding a gun to your head and your boss being able to fire you and take away your your kid's access to that insulin. There's not a tremendous moral difference to me. Um oh, there's on not the individual a moral difference. I'd say
12: getting yeah. a gun to your head is actually more likely to survive that. You know, yeah. It's a lot yeah. safer.
5: It's less inevitable. You could talk your way out of that, and yeah, I mean, there's whatever. But
12: there are any number of things that might go wrong there. But if somebody takes yeah. takes away your insulin, that's the end of the story.
5: Yeah, I, I guess the more salient point than the comparison is just they're both acts of violence in in every way that's yeah. meaningful. I think they're both acts of violence.
12: Well, and one way that when I rail against intellectual property as a concept and intellectual property law. <laughs> The example that I give is: I say, if somebody were dying and you knew how to save them, would you ever not tell them how and just watch them die? Say, yeah. "Oh no, that idea belongs to me, and I'm not going to share unless you pay me." Like no human being that I think I've ever heard of would do that. Yeah, and yet this happens every day because we've sort of carried these questions of copyright into patents. Yeah. And despite the fact that they're hundreds of years old and not applicable anymore, <laughs> um, assuming they were ever applicable and people just die because people say, Oh, well we can make more money if we do it this way.
5: There's a fascinating thing going on there when you, when you really drill into that idea, because I suspect there are a lot of people who have, who are, are, are integral in propping up this system, both of kind of medical intellectual property and of just like the pharmaceutical industry, the way that it works, people in politics, huge numbers of people who are integral in some facet of keeping that going, who also, were they to see an individual in immediate medical distress, would never think of like getting their debit card number or whatever, like asking them for, without thinking attempt, because that's what people do. And it's, I mean, this is where we get into kind of some of these more, philosophical anarchist ideas about what hierarchy does and what these structures do because structures enable people to participate in evil that they never would as an individual. Um,
12: Yeah. There's this easy route that, that that many easy routes that pop up mm -hmm. that allow people or force, I should say force people to be displaced from their humanity in that sort of way where, yes, of course, you, you'd help somebody up off of subway tracks if they have fallen. Yes, of course, if somebody were drowning, you'd drag them out and save them. And, and yet, just because it's a degree removed and it's mediated by an agency, suddenly it's so easy to forget and ignore and be sort of complicit in.
5: Yeah. And I, I just to go back around to what Four Thieves is doing and what y'all are doing, it's one of the few projects going on right now that fits what my idealistic nineteen year old brain thought the internet would be sixteen, fifteen. Like when I when it was when things were newer and a little less like, oh, this like one of these days will this kind of shit's gonna happen. Um yeah. and that is, I think, I mean that's that's not without value from again a revolutionary perspective, the fact that it is pretty rad. You know, <laughs> uh,
12: well, I mean, I I will not deny the fact that it feels good. You know, yeah. there I I think that uh, I think that we all grew up with that sort of hope and belief yeah. that we were gonna open these new doors and there were gonna be these new possibilities and things that we had been reading about in science fiction were going to become real and and there's there's a great satisfaction in not just witnessing your childhood dreams become realities, but actually, you know, having a hand in it, uh, it's, mm-hmm. there's, there's something quite satisfying about that. I will, yeah, I, I will admit.
5: <laughs> well, I think that's a pretty good point to close out on today. I don't need to take up um, too much more of your time right now, Michael, but, but as I, I told people, I'm going to be, I'm going to be trying to get into some of this because I find it just both fascinating and incredibly hopeful um in a world where it seems like uh there are constantly forces conspiring to strip people of their ability to take control of critical aspects of their lives you and your your colleagues in this are trying to give people opportunities to take some some power back for themselves and i i just think that's i think it's pretty dope <laughs>
12: Thank you so much. Yeah. And to your listeners, if there are people out there who like what we're doing and you want to support the project, please go find somebody who needs your help but doesn't deserve it and then go help them anyway.
5: Yeah. Yeah. That's always a good thing to do. Um, Michael, anything else? Any like uh, uh, thing else you want to kind of put? This is normally the section where people plug websites or projects or anything. You've got anything in particular you want to throw out there right now? Uh,
12: sure. We're, we're hoping to do a bunch of big releases in the summer. Um, Mm -hmm. so look for those in the meantime, we're always looking for help. So if you're out there and you'd like to be assisted in the project, uh, please get in touch. There's the contact us page in the website. And by the way, this do not have to be a technical person. We're looking for currently, we're looking for writers. We have a lot of documentation that we need to do. So if you're out there and you have, you know, background in in language, then that would be great. If if you're somebody who feels that you're entirely without skills, please get in touch. We have any number of endless small tasks that just need to be taken care of because we don't have enough people. So if you'd like to participate, we'd love to have you please get in touch and. In the meantime, keep each other healthy, keep each other safe.
5: Thank you so much, Michael.
12: Thanks so much for having
5: me. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe.
6: It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com/sources. Thanks for listening.
2: The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com
1: i'm going out with the girls this weekend nails done outfit stunner and my skin i know it's going to be glowing because i glammed up my shower routine with new Olay indulgent moisture body wash it smells so luxurious and deeply moisturizes with its super rich creamy lather that's bursting with vitamin b3 complex so my skin glows and my confidence grows Try new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash for glowing skin in just 14 days. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this.